Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And in this episode, we have a conversation with Emily Garces, who is one of the most fascinating people I have ever talked to. What a medley of bizarre and wonderful and exciting things that she has been through in her life. Um, uh, a whole lot of uh, ups and downs and a roller coaster life um, that has led her through a personal deconstruction of her faith. And I'm excited to dive into that with her and, and talk with her about that. Um, and so let's dive in. It's great to have you. I'm really excited to, to have you on. Uh, just reading a little bit about your book. I haven't got around to reading your book, unfortunately. I just between so Friday and Monday. That was a, uh, and I, <laughs> I'm really religious about, I, I try to take Saturday and Sunday off. I do not touch anything that is kind of work. Although my whole world of work and play is kind of a big messy mix. Um, but I try and just be, no, it's me, time with my f- family, friends, nothing else. Um, and so there was just very little chance I was going to be picking it up at like 10 o'clock at night when my wife went to bed or something. And so I was like, oh, be fine. So I'm going to be asking you lots of questions under the premise of I know very little about you. I read a little blurb on our Instagram dialogue that we had. And I was like, oh my God, I want to talk to this person. I want to get to know this person. Um, so I'm going to presume that a lot of the people listening to this are probably in a very similar place. Um, do you want to maybe give a bit of that quick blurb, a bit of an overview of who is Emily? Like, who are you? How are you? How have you got to here? <laughs> Honestly, I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And I, I think I always will be, but, uh, I like your little thing about, um, I'm actually more interested in <laughs> talking to Phil. I think I found you on Instagram and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I want to have some conversations. So I'm going to be like, I'm going to keep on hijacking the microphone and interviewing you by accident, I think. It's awesome. So, this is always yeah. a bit of a conversation anyway. So I'm, I'm not yeah, yeah, into yeah, like yeah, a yeah. one-sided monologue anyway. Oh, well, well, that's great. Already, you know, I just want conversation with people. And that's a person, you know, that I am. I've, you know, we've, mm. I've come from the church and I've, I've always wanted to have conversations with people and not just to be to be told what to believe but you know it's just yeah conversation is such a good word and it's really what I'm all about so even hearing you saying about well actually I'm very religious about my weekend and I'm like yay and I and immediately I want to say so when you were you know perhaps I don't know if you're still involved with with church or what you do mm. but I wonder if you did think Sunday is my day of rest and that is a beautiful sacred thing for me or if you were just rushed off your feet because it was a Sunday and it becomes like this busy Christian day doesn't it mm. that, yeah I've, yeah so asking like who I am and you know I think for me it's been about coming you know from this story of you know being a missionary in South America um, being, you know, a Christian in in an evangelical church in in the UK, and not just going like I've thrown all that away now. Now I believe in science and blah blah blah. I think I always believed in science anyway. But it's a it's this kind of journey that means like how do I embrace as much as I can from that part of my story and use it to move forward into into the next stages mm. and. What I love, the reason that I, you know, contacted, found you originally, I'm interested in Spiral Dynamics and started listening to all your episodes on that. And what I love about things like that is it helps me look back at my past and not to judge myself for the decisions that I made and not to judge those those friends that I still have from that time in my life and and to come at it, you know, with an understanding attitude. And when I talk about, you know, stuff like, personality types and Enneagram and all of that is this journey of trying to come to a place where I know myself more and 
and you know know other and understand other people in 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 new ways and in better mm. ways so i'm just want to be part of the conversation yes i've written a book about myself i've done some crazy things i actually thought i've got at some point what i do have is this little bonkers introduction that i wrote to myself that's about two pages long and that we could should give read you, that yeah that could that. give you some little pointers that you could start to go did that really happen to you you want to <laughs> you want to expand on that because absolutely yeah. let's do it let's do that because I'll, I'll, i've got to the point now where i am consistently um disappointed uh i don't know there's all sorts of different words different emotions that come up but surprise is very rare these days for me when i'm talking to people about their faith journeys like at this point i'm like of course that's maybe quite a unique situation but of course that has happened to you that does not even surprise me anymore so i'm excited about the the prospect of being surprised every now and again Uh, it's one of my favorite things about these kind of conversations is every now and again i'm like what like yeah. that's a whole nother level of crazy I, to- I talk in my book about riding the waves of serendipity i say um serendipity is, is a is a force that can be harnessed mm. you know you can start to lean into these things and and so you, you know you can like yeah surprise doesn't surprise you anymore it just becomes a thing you know yeah. so yeah. I'm very much behind all of that yeah and that's been yeah. very much very much my life anyway i'll read you these two pages yeah please dive in uh, as a little intro because yes you've not read the bonkersness which is my story so started writing this book and then i kind of thought what the hell do i think i'm doing i've got like no qualifications you know i've got a degree in english and but like why am i writing this story what am i doing what do i think i have to offer and then I kind of just wrote this as my little kind of excuse which wasn't oh yes I've written lots of books and I've got a degree in theology didn't have any of that but what I had was this rather bizarre list Mm. I'm pretty sure that I do not have all the necessary qualifications needed to write a book but I'm hoping that my array of skills and experiences will give me at least a small chance of success I am so tall that a woman once exclaimed you are every child's dream when I reached the high branch of a tree to shake down hundreds of horse chestnuts. Using only a kayak, an Ikea bag and a child's fishing net, I rescued the swans on a nearby lake no less than five times and was unfazed by their complete lack of gratitude. Without desiring to, I once peed publicly three times in the same day and have yet to develop a fear of outdoor urination. I pushed two large babies out of my body without requiring pain relief or a hospital. I have been charged by a wild tapir. At least four songs have been written about me, one from a mental ward, one as a jingle for my painting show, one to commemorate my midnight busking sessions in dark city centres, and one by a man who proposed five minutes after we met. I am so connected to the divine that a squirrel once fell on my head when I told God that I wanted to feel closer to nature. At the age of 19, I engaged in an hour-long battle with a demonised cat in Argentina. I once prayed so hard that my body did not stop shaking for two weeks. Late one evening, I figured out the meaning of life, but had forgotten it by morning. I can speak in tongues. I have cycled across the United Kingdom on a whim, taken eight hours to ride a broken bicycle up a mountain in Chile and 20 minutes to ride down it. I've been known to ride a bike across Amsterdam while sitting on an armchair. I can mend a bicycle using nothing but shoelaces. I have inbuilt satellite navigation. 
I swam across the eye of a volcano with an indigenous schoolchild who I kidnapped by accident. My clothes once exploded violently in front of a church youth group when I dived off a bridge in Bolivia. I have been known to skinny dip in the dark, guided and clothed by nothing but glow stick earrings. There is video footage of me walking by a lake at night to confront a T-Rex. I invented wild swimming. I'm currently surviving on foraged wild garlic. I once stung my tongue on undercooked nettles and did not stop chewing. I regularly fed 40 people in a warehouse in Buenos Aires, in a kitchen so small and so crowded that you could not bring your arms down if you entered whilst carrying a pan on your head. I insist on making my own bread whilst wild camping. When I'm bored, I use powdered, powdered beetroot to make all my meals pink. I can eat everything but olives. I was given a four-star rating by the Scotsman newspaper for my John Cleese-inspired acting abilities. I read all the Russian authors as a child. I learnt Spanish by reading Annika Renina. I can make my eyes look in different directions. Wow. Can and, in, and, and can inhale my top lip into my nostrils. I have been seen tidying up children's toys with my feet whilst carrying a baby and folding laundry. I can translate simultaneously and at high speed from Spanish to English whilst wondering if love travels like water in the weather system. I have ridden bareback in the wilds of Patagonia to round up cattle with gauchos who hang horses' heads on hooks in sheds. I have been sighted sliding gracefully down a Chilean glacier, slowed only by a Stone Age hand tool. I can pluck a pheasant, orchestrate the creation of masterpieces by artistic novices, hold long conversations with tawny owls and make the perfect cup of tea. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to write a book, though who knows what sort of a book it will be. That was my little intro. The lie, stop the lie in that. There is a definite lie in it. There's a lie. You can make the perfect cup of tea. Yes. (laughs) You're the first person to have guessed that. I just wanted oh, to end on something know. really mundane. I just wanted to just bring it up, bring it up, and then just bring it down at the end. And I thought, like, just something well, like Well, I thought some- that was probably the hardest achievement. Um, as <laughs> I don't drink tea, and um, but I make tea frequently for my wife. Probably not enough, it's so hard uh, she would say. because everyone wants it differently. And everyone's so fussy. Yeah. Well, and I only make it for my wife, and I still can't get it right. You know, I mean, I've been doing that for years, and I still can't get her the right cup of tea. It, she, she's very um, chill about it. You know, she'll drink it, but... We all know that she she's not that impressed with my tea making abilities. So, um, so yeah, I didn't so believe I'm really, for a really second glad that you could make a perfect cup of tea. You you very <laughs> much backed up your claim then of saying like I'm pretty much unfazed by everything. So you know you know you know that like jumping off a bridge in Bolivia and having your clothes explode and being charged by a wild tiger. You that. know all of those things like they could happen, but making a good cup of tea, man, that's unlikely. Hard. Yeah. Hey, a lot of Americans watch your pod, um, listen to your podcast, right? It's, um, I've heard that Americans like make a cup of tea in the microwave. Americans just, make a cup of tea in a whole host of them. They don't even have kettles, most of them. So it's most Americans, their voltage is different. they'll boil water on the, the stove, you know? Or, you know so no wonder you turn to the microwave. Yeah, I would go to a microwave if I had to boil water on the stove every time. It's really sad. A lot of work. It's really yeah. sad. Well, I not don't drink tea or coffee, so know, I don't care. Not, <laughs> <laughs> you scarred early on by an American making you a cup of tea in a microwave and then just couldn't go back. I have, I have no idea, yeah. I mean, Americans have scarred me in many ways. So, uh, <laughs> Can I ask about your accent? Like, you know, obviously you're Scottish, but have you travelled in many different places? Because it's... Yeah, it's a mess, right? Yeah, um, it's a mess. It, I, I've moved around to the UK a lot and then uh, 
I, when I, my, my family mostly settled in Aberdeen when I was about 15, 16. And we, we actually stayed there for, they're, they're still there. Um, and so I was there for another seven, eight years. That's the longest period I've been in any location. Like most locations in my life, I wasn't there for more than two, three years. I think I've moved 17 times now. Wow. Um, and so we moved around a lot in the UK, but when we settled in, um, in Scotland, we actually settled into like an expat community. Uh, which is like kind of, kind of like oil, like expats, all the kind of, of Americans. Americans, a lot of Americans and not any type of American either, like American American, you know, when you're like, Oh, America, that American. Um, basically anyone you would imagine running around in a big, massive cowboy hat boots digging for oil. Um, so yeah, that's, that was a good chunk it's of my life hanging out with those people. Properly stereotypical Americans. There's a bit in my book when I I have a trip to Oregon for like a month and I I manage to, um, I travel around. uh, I think I make it to five different states in America with no money, just swapping like art and artistic services for things and did a lot of of crazy swapping. But I, I think I have a line in it which says, you know, my, my flights to America went exactly as expected. I made friends, you know, get boarding the plane. I made friends with a man called Rocky Blakewood who wore blue jeans and a cowboy hat and, and worked for Daimler Trucks and played the hurdy-gurdy. Oh, my gosh, yes. And then him and his wife um, invited me out to dinner as well when I got to, yeah. um, when I got to Portland. I love I it. I can well imagine some of the nicest people in the world are the Americans. Are. Um, and some of the least nice people in the world, apparently. <laughs> but just the ones in charge. Um, yeah, that really bizarre. And then I moved to America. I spent a lot of time there. I've lived in Ireland. I've, I've moved around. And then I was traveling and speaking all over the world. So I spent very little time anywhere other than on the road. Um, and so I've kind of been exposed to everything and anything. And like when I was really young, I had this like chameleon accent. Like when we moved every couple of years, I would literally go from like when we lived in London, I spoke like very proper newsreader, like neutral London accent. And then we moved to like the country to like Gloucestershire. Um, and like, I came back from school on like day three and I was like, my mom was like, what the fuck happened to this thing? Um, so it, yeah, I've always been a bit like that. And then at some point, I guess somewhere in my twenties, it just was like, we're done. Just have that. That's where you are now. Um, and so it drifts a little bit here and there, but yeah, I I go home long enough in Scotland. Really? I was was born in Welsh and spoke Welsh as a kid and then moved to Derbyshire and just had to change the accent I yeah like, i was gonna say you don't have much welsh they at say all. son and mum and i was like wow they speak so differently i think <laughs> but then my accent it's standardized quite a lot because mm. you know, i spent when i was 18 i just wanted to go off and save the world and also escape i think a lot of my missionary years were spent because i really didn't want to have to do things like get a mortgage and get a job and do paperwork and I was like ah that Mm -hmm. that that stuff is so scary that I would rather go off and just live in the Andes I don't find that scary at all compared to paperwork (laughs) so I don't think it's a very special type of person I don't think it was just the idea that yes I'm going to go and convert everyone um for Jesus and be a hero I think I was just running from paperwork that's Mm. that's the truth I wonder how many missionaries have similar motives underneath it all I wonder how many human beings could really probably have that tagline at some point, really. Just, my name's Phil Drysdale, and I'm running from paperwork. You know, I mean, we all are, really, on some level. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, it sounds like you were, I mean, as much as you were running from paperwork, you you do sound like you were um, a fairly fundamental 
um, person early on, though. It sounds like, you know, you wanted to go and save the world on some level. You wanted to go and be this radical missionary. Like, is that fair that you kind of grew up quite a, a, a kind of radical, fundamental person? I mean, you're quite a radical it, person anyway, by the sounds of it. Uh, I think it's, you know, if you've been fed a diet of, of penal substitutionary, you know, atonement as a young child through every song that you're listening to in church and through every sermon that's preached with an altar call at the end of it, you know, and, you know, you're reading the Bible through that lens and you're like, OK, so you guys are preaching this literally nonstop and you actually believe that people who don't receive this message will go to hell. Why are you all mm. just sitting down? If you're yeah. telling me this is true, that the Bible is 100% true and that this is the angle from which to read the Bible, what are we doing? So I would, you know, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning praying for unconverted friends and crying and worrying. Um, though at the same time, I think, I don't think I ever believed that the earth was created in six literal days. You know, I've looked sure. into that. You know, the word yom for day means non-specific period of time. So that never that stuff never stressed me out. Mm. Um, but I was like, if this is the message, then we should do something about it. You know, why is no yeah. one worrying? And why why would you invest in a career and a job and a house when those things aren't important? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was... It's a really crazy dynamic, isn't it? Like, I, I always say, I say this again and again and again, that I have so much admiration for people like the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, these kind of fundamental movements. I mean, ISIS even, I'm like, they have twisted their faith to believe a certain expression of it, and then they live it, right? I mean, they yeah. literally live it. And in, in other ways, they're making excuses for different things, you know, like, or whatever, but they are, like, passionate about what they believe. You cannot fault them for having some zeal behind what they believe. Whereas the average evangelical... They really passionately say they believe everyone's going to hell. I don't see it in their day to day. You know, they're not banging on their neighbor's door, like screaming, dude, please, just please hear me out. I really think you're going to go to hell. And if you just gave me 10 minutes, I, I, I want to, I want to get you into heaven. I just do not want you to die. You know, that's not the day to day life of the average Christian. Yet they profess to believe some framework that, that really says that that's going to be happening. And it, it basically points out they're a bit like a, bunch of dicks right I mean, we're, we're terrible people if we don't really i think there's a level if, you know, if, you look, if you're looking at that kind of psychologically there's a level i don't know if it's like just tokenism or something but if you if you kind of publicly if you've publicly said that you believe something you've mm -hmm. raised your hand you've said i'm a christian this is the stuff that i believe it gives you permission to then not believe it in other ways. Hmm. You know, if you look at things like, you know, as, as a country, we had a female prime minister a long time ago, therefore we're not sexist. Yeah. You know, America Never see had, one of them had, again. had a black president, therefore they're not racist. It's like once yeah. you've, once you've done something, you've said that therefore, you know, your conscience is clean and you can then go on and not be that thing anymore because you've proven that you are it. <laughs> so mm. I think there's an element yeah. of, you know, if you have people in, in churches who've professed to believe in that things and maybe a few, you know, maybe they've gone and they've they've done their, you know, they've tried to convert a few friends and then somehow they're kind of let off the hook yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. So my heart does, <laughs> does break for people who are on this journey that we've been on and the people who are still on this journey. It's like, that seems to be, so have you just dedicated your life to this? Like, Phil, is this? At this point. So what I happened? dedicate my life, I, what just happened. Can I, can I just ask what, what happened? This, I don't know. Like I, I still am figuring out like, yeah, I have no idea what the hell is going on or which way's up. I'm just kind of figuring it out as I go. 
Um, but along the way, I've realized I, I used to travel and speak in loads of different churches and do conferences and meetings and different things like that. And I was a lot more fundamental back in the day. Um, you know, using something like Spiral Dynamics, I was probably still very traditional in my, in my framework and maybe moved into some sort of modern, um, framework. Uh, but generally speaking, was still very black and white fundamental. And, um, and just as I was traveling, as I was meeting people, I'm just realizing, ha, huh, there's a lot of people that are like not so content and they're asking questions. And the thing is, people ask questions when you, when you're the person that just shows up to church every now and again, there's a safety in that you're gone next tomorrow and they're not going to see you for another year or so. You're not going to rat them out to the pastor. You're not going to, you know, condemn them. You're not going to screw up their social standing by, you know, highlighting that they don't believe something or they had this question. And so people come to you with the, the people most share when you're bizarre visiting. questions or vulnerabilities and they just open up. And you start to realize, God, half the church and every church I go to doesn't believe half the stuff. And they are questioning their stuff and they're not really sure where to go and what to believe. And they're terrified and they don't feel safe to talk about this stuff. And just realizing no one's really helping these people. No one. I mean, there's just at the time, certainly back in the day, this is maybe eight, 10 years ago now, there wasn't people helping people that were in that place that I could see, not very publicly, not well known, at least, um, there were some very famous figureheads that had fallen from grace that people might watch, you know. So someone like a Rob Bell who had a, his love wins and everything explodes and everyone's like, oh, he's fallen away. But he's still kind of talking about some kind of Christian stuff and people are like following his podcast or reading his next book and stuff. So there's people like that. But Rob wasn't going to sit down and chat with you. He's a busy guy, right? He's got his own thing going on in a whole world of wheels turning. And so for me, I was just like, gosh, there's a real need out here for people to kind of have someone that's just safe to talk to and process with not Keep yourself out there as that another person. person that's going around doing ministry trips and uh you know speaking to church groups and what i like god there's enough of those people right i mean god there's probably far too many people like that um and so yeah i, I just was like ah let's 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 kind of shift towards this need and and I've just, that's a, been an avalanche, you know, it's just picked up pace and there's been more and more people coming to that. And, and thankfully the space has grown and evolved and there's more and more people doing that and creating space for people to come, uh, you know, to share, to, to connect. Like, and so it's, it's, it's a really beautiful space now that isn't, that gap. isn't anymore. I don't feel it's centered around me. Whereas early on, because I didn't know anyone else, I felt the whole thing centered around me having to help people. Now I don't even feel that need of like, Oh, the weight of the world on my shoulder. I'm like, ah, just one random schmuck doing a podcast every now and again, or chatting to someone on Instagram until two in the morning, telling them it's going to be okay. Or that's like, that's fine. I can, I can do that. I don't feel like too much pressure about that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a, uh, you know, one of those things, but what about you? How did you go from being, you know, this, this kid racked with fear for her friends and needing to go to South America to get some people saved? Um, how did you go from that to where you are now? Like, what was the, the, what were the kind of like key components that kind of caused you to kind of evolve, devolve, unravel? I'm not sure, uh, how you would, uh, I like unravel. Label it. <laughs> <laughs> I like ra- I like I like the words ravel and unravel. You know, de- like the deconstruction can can sound negative, and I also don't like the mm-hmm. reconstruction. Yes, because because I I don't think you can really always re- yeah. you know, reconstruct to the degree that you want to. Um, there's a poem in here somewhere that I wrote. So I was in Argentina with um, a missions organization for 
five five years I worked in an arts group over there I you know I led outreaches um I you know eventually I went and spent another two years with the same organization in the Netherlands but there was a moment it was the moment when I was leaving Argentina um and I just randomly had a dream um I've always been a bit of a mystic and you know and yeah and dreams have always been important things to me but there was um just find my there it is I called the chapter in my book my book the walls fall down where Mm. it really all started to uh to happen there it is so um yeah I was in this missions organization in Buenos Aires and I had a dream uh in which I'm standing in the middle of this ancient kind of courtyard it was like if you imagine those giant stones like you'd see on like the you know on a the temple yeah and then mm. I'm in this big space with this kind of presence in this you know historic kind of landmark towering walls and then I just heard this sound of like an appro- approaching kind of like tremor and the ground started shaking and then these walls just came down and it was this experience that was like ah like I, I was actually there and I woke up that morning and opened the Bible and it said something about, you know, those verses in Haggai when it was saying, you know, I will build a new temple and the glory mm. of the new temple will be greater than the glory of the old temple. And I was just like, wow, like everything's falling down. Like my Christian faith that has just been passed on to me, you know, secondhand by one of these clever people that I don't really understand, but I've just been listening to them and trying to follow it. And now all of those big structures are falling down and the new temple is going to be built and it's going to be a religion that I can own. It's going to be a Christianity that I can connect with personally. Mm. I'm going to be like this amazing, like super Christian. This is like next level stuff. (laughs) And then in that day, I remember people came up to me, someone said, Oh, I just had like a vision of an earthquake and that God is doing new things in you and blah, blah, blah. And I think there were about three or four people who came up to me that day, honestly, with like verses about new temples and all of this stuff is happening. And so I was just like, wow, something really great is going to happen. And then I I wrote this poem afterwards to describe kind of what that experience actually turned into. I called it walls. (laughs) Walls. For two decades, I sat in churches on sunny days, the world outside further away than the time-locked saints on the stained glass windows. The sun's light falls on me through their tinted halos, and I stretch out my toes in the borrowed light of transcendence. Until one day, I dream that I hear the earth roaring, and I see the great stones of the temple falling down around me. I am left exposed and cold because the truths that have been my childhood friends have grown old and gray while I have stayed young and I stand in the same spot for years staring in shell shock at the broken walls waiting for it to be rebuilt because I was told that the glory of the first temple will be nothing compared to the glory of the new but they never came to understand glory in the way that I now do I stopped regarding the rubble and notice I can see the sky bending down to reach me like a hug from otherness in a gown of blue. I stop looking down in frustration at the empty page I've come to be and see instead before me the unbearable beauty of a newborn blanket of snow. Walls are the opposite of bridges. Walls are the arguments you're determined to win. 
Walls are built to keep you safe. Walls are built to keep you in. Mm. Wow. So that, you know, after that, I was waiting for something to be rebuilt. I was waiting for my faith to be, you know, built again, perhaps in exactly the same way, but this time with a greater sense of ownership. And it just never happened. Mm. You know, I left Argentina. Uh, I joined the same organization in the Netherlands. I led another outreach to Venezuela where, honestly, the things that I saw and, the, and you know, the, the, the way that people manage certain things. And I just thought, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't do Christianity. It's just not... Mm. It's just not working for me. But then I was left with nothing. And then, you know, that empty page, the white page that's waiting to be written... Um, and for many years, I was just, I thought, oh, I've got burnout. I'm just going to sit, you know, with this space and eventually something's going to be built here. And it never was. And it still really mm. hasn't been. And I've learned that that, um, you know, that lack of building, that lack of uh, certainty, I then owned that as being, you know, this beautiful I don't even want to use words like foundation because that sounds like it's waiting for like a structure to arrive. Yeah, in that. Yeah. But it's just a sense of openness, you know? Mm. So yeah. yeah, that was the beginning of my downfall. Wow. That's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds harrowing um, and terrible and frustrating and scary and all the different <laughs> emotions, but it's also quite beautiful. The, the, um, yeah, the, the, the walls coming down, the, the appreciating the beautiful blue sky on the other side and going, Oh, yeah, I've kind of been blocking myself off from all of this with all these nice, safe, certain, stable, solid walls that I do appreciate and, and love. Um, I've been missing out. You know, there's a yeah. whole nother world here. And, and like, I think it's a really hard transition to go from, you know, when you're at that stage, the psychological stage of needing certainty and safety and security. And, and we love walls in that place because it keeps the dangerous people away. It keeps us in with our group and, and what we know it, 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 it does. It boxes in what's going to happen. It makes sure that we're right and we're not wrong and we're, you know, we're safe. We're not in danger. All the different components of like just feeling a part of something maybe. And there's all that going on. And I don't think those desires disappear when we, when the, when the walls first start coming down and we start going, well, maybe there is something beyond these walls. The desire for some certainty, the desire for some kind of solid ground to stand on doesn't go away overnight. It might be that in time, over years, you become a bit more comfortable with uncertainty and you become a bit more going, oh, I don't know how much I need a foundation. But that's generally speaking, not it's a like, on off switch, right? It's a yeah. drawn out kind of like, the whole way. Um, yeah. What did that look like for you? I mean, what, what were some of the things that caused those walls to come down for you? Like, was it theological? Was it emotional? Like, what, what were the kind of situational? I just have so many questions for you. Like, what you're kind of referencing there is kind of saying when you have those walls, sometimes you need them. And if you're talking about, you know, the blue area of, like, spiral dynamics mm. or, or Richard Raw talking about his boxes of order and disorder yeah. and, and reorder. And I think about my own kids and, you know, we're not, I go to a church, um, or I did before lockdown, called The Order of the Black Sheep. You know, my vicar is in Chesterfield and was in a heavy metal band. He's a very nice man. Nice. Um, so that's incredible space. You know, lots of different people and different stages of kind of a similar journey to maybe the people who listen to this podcast. But I mean, like my kids don't have like that Christian youth group upbringing that I had or that really solid kind of space of this is us and this is what mm. we believe. And I don't regret having that. I honestly don't because yeah. to have that sort of stability and that sort of firmness was a beautiful thing. 
So like, just because I'm talking about walls falling down, it doesn't mean that I'm saying that those walls shouldn't have been there anyway. But you're asking me like, you know, about mm. that process for myself and the stuff that I really want to ask you is how the hell does spiral dynamic, um, dynamics work in conjunction with personalities? Because when you're mm. a personality type that naturally looks at all sides of a problem and that naturally questions, like, do you say that's because you know you're just moving through the levels of spiral dynamics really fast? Is that but that surely that's just kind of the personality that you're born with? So there's an element of that yeah. with me. I don't think it's because I'm especially woke. I think it's yeah. just because I was born as a bit of a pain in the ass who asks too many questions. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, I think certain personalities are definitely inclined to move forward and grow um more so than others. I think that's just a natural part of life. In the same way that certain people types are going to be faster than others, right? I mean, I'm not going to win any 100-meter sprints based on my genetic background, no chance. Never mind my daily diet and exercise routine, which is a whole nother level of no chance, right? Um, so there's certain components that, like, like different people are set up for different successes and different um, uh, struggles. I think that there's no doubt about it. But I do think, so I'm someone that questioned everything always my whole life. I was a pain in the ass to every human being on the planet. I think my mom early on was like, ask questions, doubt anyone that tells you something is like this one way, um, including me, ask me questions, ask why I think that. Don't take it for granted just because I say something is true. I'm, I don't know everything. Um, and I think she regretted that. I don't know if she raised my other siblings the same way because of it. I'm not sure. But you know, she was very like, she, she really instilled that in me and I did it a lot. But it still took me 20 plus years. I mean, I was well into my late 20s probably by the time I really had started shifting out of blue. Um, and I think I just moved through lots of different types of blue. I think on a, on a fundamental level, I still was in a place probably on emotional levels, you know, some other levels where I just really needed some stability and some black and white certainty, you know, some, some, some of that safety I was yearning for. And I just bounced between different denominations, expressions. Um, I think even if I'd left church, I would have found something else that I could have found some sort of certainty and stability. And I wouldn't have moved in the ways that I did when I did kind of leave church much later on because I was in a place where I needed different things. And so I think there's a, a good mix of how it can look and what it can look like. Um, but I do think some people are, um, generally speaking, very unlikely to, to grow and move beyond certain um, levels. So there's been studies done on um, on human psychological development, and most models seem to suggest that, that where you are, at between the ages of graduating from university, about 22, 25, that kind of window, up to about 35, wherever you are in that window is probably where you'll be when you die. Most people just won't grow beyond that. Um, which my, is my, my ex-husband sad, is, a, is a tattoo artist and I'd always mm. say to people just just don't get a, you know don't get a tattoo before you're 30 ideally before you're 40 because it tends to be that you know those kind of years of you figure kind of out who you though. are <laughs> and then you get to a certain point you're like this is me now I'm done get the tattoo that's it yeah <laughs> now I'll get my I love you know Boris Johnson tattoo not you know, in my wild twenties when I'm like yeah. experimenting politically and then realize, God, I hate that guy. And I've got a big tattoo of him on my ass or whatever, you know, like. Hey, there, um, there's, there's something that I've got to say about that because I was thinking about that today. Um, you know, when, if people get that tattoo and they get it of an ex partner and then or an mm. ex husband or an ex wife, 
or an ex hero you know like you're saying Boris Johnson could have been someone that people would have loved earlier on in life and they've got the big tattoo got his face on their back you know giant um and then it becomes oh I've got to spend like a thousand pounds of raising that and tattooing something new and I'm more of the vein of like honestly that's just part of who you are it's part of who you are I heard of someone who went to get a tattoo and they were being a bit of an idiot and they were you know those younger years and they were all like they got this tattoo and the tattoo um, was supposed to say courage in Chinese or something. And they came back and they asked someone what, what it said. They asked someone who was Chinese and it just said brown rice. And it was like, they said, well, I was just being an idiot. I was a bit, I was I a bit it. like unkind to the tattoo artist, whatever they'd done. They're like, I earned this tattoo. This tattoo is this memory of like who I was. And so that's yeah. my same thing when it comes to, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater in regards to like, you know, your your early experience with like the Christian faith. Do you then go like I'm moving now, I'm I believe in science or I believe in something else? I always think of yeah. um what is it called? Um Nacho Libre. I believe in science. I always have that voice in my head. Have you ever watched that movie? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, so when you leave a relationship. And it becomes, I'm going to cut this person out of every picture. I just feel mm. that that's so sad. It's so sad to think I've wasted 20 years of my life in church. I've wasted 20 years of my life in this marriage. Now I'm just going to throw all of that away and start again. Mm. And it's such a lovely thing to do is to kind of think, yeah, you know, I've, you know, I've come out of 11 year marriage and I, I work hard to think what are the positives from that experience that I can yeah. take forward? What are the things that I love about that person? Um, and I love that you started this conversation with saying Sundays, it's a holy day for me. <laughs> you know? yeah, Why not yeah. like, like take those things forward? What were we talking yeah, about? Absolutely. No, th- th- that is what we were talking about. This is, this is it. Um, the conversation we are having is the conversation <laughs> we are having. Um, I, I'm really intrigued by that because I think, I mean, to me, people that follow me know that I hammer this on again and again and again. Like you have to kind of try and come to a place. It might not be immediate, but you have to come to a place at some point where you can look back and start to integrate, you know, start looking through that and going, okay, yes, a lot of this was horrific. Yes, I did harm. Yes, it harmed me. But what was good? What developed me? What brought me to where I am? What can I make sure that I don't get rid of? Because actually some of this I might really want moving forward. Um that's really different for different people depending on where they're at as well. I think, you know, I think um, depending on when you come to a point of a faith crisis or when you break up with your partner, you know, um, the, the, the love scorned 17 year old is probably less likely to deal with a breakup as well as the person that has been through five other breakups and, you know, is maybe in their fifties at this point and has gone, I kind of, you know, I have a bit more stability. I understand. I see the world a bit differently. You know, there's, there's people at different stages of life are going to respond differently. And so maybe they're like a little less likely to just be cutting out their partner of every photo versus the 17 year old who's holding a seance, like burning the pictures and hoping that, you know, the devil kills their partner, their ex or whatever, you know, there's a whole spectrum there. And any 17 year olds listen to this. Some of you are a lot more stable than I am. So don't take this too personally. They really um, are. <laughs> Especially honestly, these days, honestly. Raised on a Netflix involved, and YouTube. <laughs> involved with a website called Work Away, and that's some of that's in my book too, where I took my kids out of school to home educate them because I think you said, you know, what happened with my journey? You know, as soon as my relationship mm. with um, Christianity crumbled, then it's like, well, what else is going to go? And it became education, like the way I eat, the way I shop, you know, all of these things mm. started to crumble. So one of the things was um, 
was education. And I was kind of, so instead of sending the kids to school, I brought in people from different countries through this work away uh, website. And so, you know, they had a month of skateboarding with a Swiss skateboarder. They had a month of YouTube with a French YouTube star. They had uh, Japanese sword fighting with an Australian. They had, uh, they had a Hungarian um, who was a, a, a dog trainer and they were teaching them tricks to their guinea pigs. You know, this was their like experience of education. But I tell you what, most of these people were between 17 and 26. And gosh, mm. they were, I, I'm, I'm looking at them thinking, wish I'd been you when I was that age. Yeah. I don't know what's happening or like I, maybe it was just me. Maybe I was just way further behind than I thought I was. <laughs> it's, it's all possible, but um, I do think we're seeing more, um, more mature, open, inclusive, loving, emotionally um, intelligent, you know, a bit more in touch with their themselves, a bit less mm-hmm. constrained to social constructs. You know, all these things are starting to soften. It's certainly in certain cultures. I think other cultures might not be uh, the same to maybe uh, people that are coming through the average door in the UK or, um, but yeah, I think on the whole, that w- when we sit down with these kind of younger people, you're like, whoa, you're exploring things I never explored at all at your age. Or you, know, you think about when, when I don't know what age you are, but when I was in school, good God, I had no concept of what 39. the world was like. Okay. So we're about the same age. I'm 36 next week. So, you know, like we, that was not our radar, right? We weren't watching, um, you know, world films or, you know, really world literature, maybe in the same ways or, you know, like we, 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 we weren't watching YouTube stars from Kazakhstan and from LA. We were like exposed to, you know, Terry from across the street, who's a bit drunk and like <laughs> hits his wife. And we all kind of talk about that and like laugh or, you know, we don't even realize that that's a serious thing, right? We don't even have a concept of like domestic abuse. And I mean, we are so sheltered um, compared to like the average kid today is going to be able to talk to you about consent and gender and sexuality. I mean, these are things that are like a kid at 12 will be able to have a conversation with you about these things. It's a, it's a good, wild world. Amazing. I, how much My son done. since forever, he's, how old is he? 12 has been, he just doesn't use like gendered pronouns. He just mm, uses they wow. for everyone. No one's told him to do that. He's just, thought that well it makes sense you know why would you not do that uh, kind of like kids are brilliant wow. aren't they yeah. yeah yeah it's amazing it's really it, it is incredible how people um do go through that but so i guess the the reason i brought that up was i i am intrigued by how you went through this process because you, you know we talk about how it's really important to kind of integrate the past and maybe bring some of that with you and and not be so reactive and like throw the baby out with a bathwater or burn the whole building down um was that what you did did, did you manage to do that well or, or did you go th- was that something that you came to the conclusion of much later on because i know people have very different experiences with that i'm not so like so like, oh, do you know, it's just happened. Just move on. Like, there's no pain. Peace and love. Yeah, I would have liked to have been that person. <laughs> I think I just took a very long break. You know, I tried yeah. to go back into churches because after, you know, after coming through missions, then I had, a, you know, I was married. I married someone from Argentina and, you know, I had a baby. And then it became like, oh, shit. Like, everyone's got a job. Everyone knows how to do life. I I don't have you know qualifications. All I've mm. done is 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 follow Jesus, and suddenly I'm living in a terraced house, you know, in Derby with a baby, and like, and I'm scared of church. I go into a church and I start twitching, and so like, 
ah, so I spent a long time like that. Um, eventually I met the church that I, that I told you about and very mm. slowly I realised they were just people exactly like me and they earned wow. um, my trust. So I slowly opened up with them. Um, I remember even whilst I was home educating the kids going into an evangelical church because um, it was a space that we were renting um, to do some projects with the kids. And I went in and I saw all the signs on the walls and I was like, oh, I'm really reacting. I'm really like, I'm melting sort of physical reaction just to yeah. the space. Mm-hmm. And like my like advice to people, like, and I've heard people going like, I just need to get over this. I just need to go back into those spaces and I need to just embrace it and just love people. Mm. I'm like, if your body just isn't ready for that, you shouldn't push yourself into those spaces because that really hurts you know when mm. you know you've been when you felt safe unsafe in a space to immediately stay in that space when your body is reacting to it and I'm like just get out until yeah. you're in a space where that feels okay you know and, and then you know maybe several years went by and with a friend um I started visiting you know just out of love for um my friend and neighbor I started visiting her church with her um occasionally and it was you know my kids went with me once and they said wow it's like christian tv because it was all <laughs> flashy lights and pogoing and people jumping Amazing. up and down and i actually really enjoyed it i enjoyed hmm. getting up on a sunday morning with something to do you know, so either for me it's a car boot sale or going to church and talking with people and having a cup of coffee after the service and meeting with people but it reminds my experience it you know reminded me of what you said you started to find when you were someone just visiting a space and people start to talk to you and I started to realize that there was you know what is this gospel that was being um taught you know that Jesus Mm. came to save us you know we were in a mess Jesus came to save us we're okay now we're okay now so maybe if you're not okay Maybe Jesus hasn't saved you or, you know, you didn't say the prayer right or you've not let him in enough. So if you're struggling with depression, maybe the best thing to do is to stop going to church because people are just going to say, hallelujah, isn't it amazing what God's done in us? And and for people looking at themselves thinking, well, they're all okay. I'm not okay, but this is not a space where I can say that I'm not okay because I should be okay because Jesus has saved me. And that was really something that I encountered. Um, and so what my, my book is called Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns. Um, there was a story that I had in which I got stranded on the wrong side of the Andes. I'd missed the bus. I was with some friends, needed to get back. Um, I managed, there was a, I had to get back. There was a ferry with a car ferry and there wasn't a bus. So the only way for us to get back across this kind of lake on this car ferry was was to be on one of the cars. We didn't have a car so it was a matter of just hitchhiking and just asking, you know, who who we could, um, you know, hitchhike with. And yeah. we'd had a meal in a in a little restaurant in it was in Chile, just before that. And on a neighbouring table, there were some nuns who were on holiday, and they were definitely very tipsy, and they were lovely, and they were, they were they were like this little family unit, and they were on holiday, and they were just I was like, oh, I just want to like, I just want to be one of those. They look nice, you know, and and fortunately, because uh, I love, you know, you you saw you read, you know, you heard my introduction to the to my book. I just love a funny story, so I'm like, oh my god, please let it be the nuns, please yeah. God, yeah. And and they were like, yeah, sure, you can you can get in the back with the luggage. So we had this journey, you know, through customs, 
with these slightly drunken nuns. And I'm just like, oh, that's just beautiful. How much of a story there actually was in that, I didn't really know. But I was like, I just love that as a title, Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns. Yeah, it's a fantastic title. (laughs) But I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, what is this? What is the Christian journey? Is Mm. it like I buy a ticket? You know, I buy a ticket from God, Jesus, through his blood, paid for this magic ticket for me. I've got the ticket. Now I get on the train. The train goes in a straight line. I get off at the stop that I'm supposed to get off at, you know, and I have a lovely conversations along the way Mm -hmm. and it all goes to plan because I've got my magic ticket. Or is life this thing where suddenly you've lost your ticket, Mm -hmm. you've got to stick out your thumb, see who turns up, who are these spiritual guides that, you know, are tour, who are these tour guides that that accompany accompany us on our, you know, on our faith journey? Are they like, I am a tour guide, I have read all of the books, or are they just nuns that are on holiday and they're a little bit drunk? And, you know, so that became for me, like, this is just, honestly, it's how I've lived my life. I, you know, my marriage failed. I met someone wonderful who who then took his own life after that. Mm. You know, I moved house to put my kids into a good school. It didn't work out. I took them out and had to home educate them. Life has been for me about a series of, I forgot to buy a bus ticket. I lost my bus ticket. Uh, and then it's been, well, what do I do now? Do I actually, like, I feel that some Christians have done when they've gone, this is not the life I was promised. This is not the Christian journey I thought I would be on. And also if God has a plan for your life, yeah, God has yeah. a plan for, for your life. God doesn't have some plans for your life. God doesn't have a myriad of like optional journeys. God has a plan for mm. your life. And if you buy into that and then suddenly your husband leaves you, God's plan has been scuppered. Like someone's yeah. like turned the board over. Someone's like ripped up the, your your ticket. And then you, you, you can't get to where you knew you had to be going. You're thrown off the path, which was the only path because it was mm-hmm. God's plan. Yeah. So then it became for me this embracing of, um, you know, it's the hitchhiking. Okay. So I stick out my thumb. Um, I've got a friend called Andy Rain, and he um, founded the Northumbria community and lives up on Holy Island. And he wrote this beautiful poem that he read to me once. And he said, what do you think that's about? And I said, is it kind of about, is it, are you trying to say that God's will recalibrates itself like some sort of a heavenly sat-nav? He was like, yeah, you got that. (laughs) And so for me, it's that idea, like, do you know when you get lost? Do you remember when we used to get lost when we didn't have sat-navs? And it was like, oh no, we're off the route. We had the route planned out. (laughs) Everyone in the car would be screaming and shouting. Your parents would basically be getting a divorce. Yeah. All of those things would happen. And now it's kind of, if you've got a sat-nav, it's just rerouting and off you yeah. go. So like my thing is that I, I kind of figured out on my journey through a lot of painful twists and turns that, you know, it wasn't just a single plan that there was for my life. It was this beautiful adventure of, you know, mm. chance in the hand of God. I don't know what it was, serendipity that is surfed like a wave. It became that thing. And that's kind of going into those, going back into those evangelical spaces and seeing people who are heartbroken because maybe God doesn't love them as much as God loves other people because their child died of cancer. And everyone told them that if they had enough faith and prayed, that child wouldn't die and the child died. So therefore the child must have died because of their lack of faith. Mm. And you're just wanting to give those people a hug and say, you know, maybe that's not what it was. So, yeah, I can really talk about this stuff. <laughs> I can really, really no, this is this is huge. I mean, this it's a massive deal. But like, we get 
so hammered over the heads with the concept of God's plan, the one, you know, like we have all these kind of like, um, points in the in the path of like oh yeah so there's there's one person for you to have in your life that you're supposed to marry oh great okay so what who was that and which one was it is it is it this person and what if what if someone else marries that person before i get to them well i heard i heard how does that work out (laughs) that if you're still single and you can't find a person Mm. that god's chosen for you maybe it was because that baby was aborted Wow. You heard that one. There's I haven't. These... That's, I mean, it, it, it adds up. I mean, it I could up. believe that if I was a very fundamental Christian that believed that these were people that God had a will for and a life for and You're... someone came in and murdered them. And, you know, that that whole narrative, you could build a whole world around that. Absolutely. Your, your one chance has been the blown. trauma that creates because, so, wait, so the reason I'm single is because someone aborted my husband or wife. Great. Good. Thanks. Or even, I mean, just the fact that, you know, I, I have a friend that's a researcher and, um, and he did some research in the gender gap in, in Christianity, but it crosses actually most religions. But there's two, um, if you look across Christianity and you look at single people, there's two females for every one male. Um, and so just the fact that people are sitting down and talking to young girls in the church and saying, God has someone out there for you. And the fact they're saying, and you have to marry a Christian means they are categorically setting up 50% of these girls to be absolutely wrecked emotionally and spiritually. It's, it's really fucked up because what happens is then they go out there and the guys will pick up, you know, 50% of these girls and the other half go, Oh, maybe I'm called to singleness. Maybe I, I did, maybe it was the aborted baby that, you know, maybe, uh, I screwed up. Maybe it's because I secretly like to masturbate occasionally. Maybe it's because I, you know, uh, slept with that guy in high school once and then lived with guilt for it for the whole life. You know, maybe, 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 and nothing but guilt and shame over the fact that they were never going to get to marry a Christian guy. That wasn't an option because there was you can't be half the Christian guys out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other options are guys marry a couple girls each. Uh, we go for same sex marriage or we marry a non Christian. Those aren't popular in the evangelical Christian church, believe it or not. None of those three are big options. <laughs> um, and so like we're, we're, we're stuck teaching things that are really harmful. And I feel for the people that are stuck teaching that because they need to believe that God has his perfect will. Um, and yet there is like such a more, much more beautiful way to approach this of, of a story, right? Not a plan, but God's goes on a, a, an adventure with us. Those girls could be told that. I actually, no, the odds are just stacked against yeah. you. And it's it's just not your fault. It's not your fault if you don't yeah. if you don't find someone. So the other person, you know, let's talk about that hitchhiking with drunken nuns thing, the idea of being open to like, you know, this journey of serendipity that has twists and turns. Um, and also the idea, I think, um, oh, what's his name? Who wrote like the God can't, Thomas Ord, who wrote like mm, the God yeah, yeah. can't book. And, you know, I've not, I've not um, read the book, but I've listened to him talk a lot. And I just think, yeah, the idea that God is just not this person who is just controlling everything, but is just, it's, it's just like this, this force of love. That's like gravity that, that, you know, that just flows in the direction that it's able to flow in and works in the mm. way that it's able to work in. And I've, 
just find that you know that version of God just sits with me so much more comfortably than someone who could help all the all the starving people but chooses not to. Yeah. So this theology um, just sounds like theology. You know, let's just sit and stroke our beards and sip cappuccinos in coffee bars and talk about these things. But actually, like how it deeply, deeply affects your actual life. I think in my book I say, you know, the sort of God that you believe in. It becomes mm. the sort of person that you are, doesn't it? Absolutely. It a, then, then you you inhabit the universe that you've created in your mind, and then that universe is governed by by the God that you allow to govern it. So this stuff, stripping down our ideas of who God is and how we relate to them, like it's all so important for me. Yeah. Um, Peter Rowlands helped me a lot or his ideas help me so i listen mm. to you know what since i've been about 12 i've listened to radio 4 that's like the bbc like talk radio for people in america and in the beginning just didn't understand anything but i was like i just like words because i write and i you know the music that i listen to is always with you know leonard cohen it's always the beautiful lyrics mm. um before even you know the, the sound of the music itself so i'd listen to radio 4 and it would like wash over me i'm like i'm not understanding a lot of this after years and years and years of it, slowly some some words became words that I could use myself. Some words became mm. words that I understood just through exposure. That was my experience of listening to Peter Rowlands. <laughs> yes, in the bit, no, absolutely. I'm like squinting at everything he's saying, going like, what? So I guess that was like maybe your thing with spiral dynamics. Now I can hear that you're quite fluent in talking about that stuff. But in the beginning, you know, you've got to, it's just the amount of hours you've got to expose yourself to these things. So yeah. I'm listening to Peter Rowlands, you know, on YouTube, I'm listening to him talk. And then there was just one thing that just properly, properly clicked. I'm saying that's an introduction because people will be going, oh, I'm going to go and listen to Peter Rollins now and get some answers. It's absolutely amazing, but you'll get some questions. You'll get some (laughs) questions. You're not going to get any answers. No, I'm just going to say that. (laughs) So when he was talking about, you know, how we're trapped between depression and melancholy, we are in this place where um, we're depressed because we're stuck and we can't move forward because you know we don't think we're good enough or like we've got these sort of Mm. limits that we've set ourselves and that's just just depressing and then um eventually we do find a way of moving forward we get the thing that we thought we wanted or the thing that we did want and it leaves us unsatisfied so we get melancholic Mm. because we've got the wife or the job or the faith or whatever it is and we're still left wanting so i found that a lot of his theology was the only theology that was dark enough for me to be of any use yeah. So, uh, you know, at that point, I'd met someone new who answered every one of my unasked questions, who, you know, who was a, a fellow creative, who we were working together, we were communicating together. He, we had so many similar parts in our journeys. And I was thinking, you know, if this relationship works out, that could answer so much of my life, that could make so much of my life make sense. But then I had this voice, you know, Pete's voice in my head saying, but then you get the thing that you thought you wanted or the thing that you did want. And life is still going to be hard. It's still going to be difficult. So once I came to the point of understanding, nothing's going to ever completely resolve. You know, you go back to books like Blue Like Jazz and you're talking about looking at the stars and trying to see music and how life is like jazz because it doesn't resolve. And we hear those things and think those words are nice and poetic. But actually, I think so often we're looking to get to a place that we think will satisfy us. You know, all of the stuff that's gone on, all of the career changes that have happened from from COVID, that we're feeling that we're still going to get to a a point where things resolve. There's a point in the future Mm -hmm. where things are going to be okay. 
So for me, like I kind of tried to, when I was writing my book, I was trying to write something that was a bit of an antithesis to kind of self-help because self-help says mm. you're not okay. There's a place in the future where you can be okay if you buy this book or if you buy into this culture and you do all of these things right and, you know, you will have all of the answers. But self-help needs us to, to start from the point of saying that where we are now isn't okay. Yeah. Um, so, so there was a level in which there was a deep click with that. And I kind of thought, even if my life if I did get these things that I thought I wanted, I would still be on in the same place as I am now. I would still be on the same journey that I'm on now. Um, so why not just start being now? Why not? You know, that surely that's the way to connect to the present because once mm. I realize that the future isn't going to give me any more answers, that the future isn't even a place I necessarily really want to be in or need to be in. I felt free to live in like the awful messiness and the, you know, the, you know, the pain of the present and just to find um, grounding, you know, in that, to find like completeness in the incompleteness, to find resolution in the questions. So like, that's kind of where, you know, my journey took me. Um, yeah. I think that when you have people who are asking questions, who are in the church, who are coming out and they're asking themselves these questions, but they're shushing the questions. They're like, shouldn't be doubting. Doubt is bad. I shouldn't be doubting. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Like we should be allowed to, to lean into those questions and to be present in that space of questions. And once we just let ourselves do that, suddenly we're doing the thing that we know we're, we, we should be aiming for, which is being present, mm. being mindful, being in the moment. But the moment's never going to be perfect, is it? No, far from in most people's experience, at least. I mean, certainly <laughs> in mine. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, that's very insightful. I think many people live their lives, certainly when we're brought up in these kind of fundamental black and white worlds. Um, it, it's not even um, that we've been sold a self-help journey to perfection. It's, it's like what you were saying earlier, where like, no, no, now you're in perfection. We all have to put this big smile on, nod and say, yeah, no, I'm great. Everything's wonderful. I'm saved. I'm, I'm Christian. I'm happy. I'm not depressed. I'm not sick. I'm not whatever. And anytime we are any of those things, there's this kind of like subconscious, maybe quite conscious at times, um, narrative of like, what are you doing wrong? Where did you drop the ball? Where are you not ticking the box? Is it because you have that doubt? Is it because you have that secret sin? Is it because you don't believe hard enough? And we, we, we need to be in this kind of like have a destination and certainly if not be there, certainly know the next couple of steps and we're, we're basically there and that's all we need to do. And I think when we step out of that world and we, you know, the people I talk to, they're like, oh, I don't even mind that the Christianity is wrong or, or whatever it is they believe, you know, like I don't mind that. I just want to know what's right. I want to know where do I go? What's the path there? Give me, and they'll come to me and go, Phil, be my new pastor, basically, right? They're going, give me the word from on high of what I should do, how I should live, what steps I should take to get to where I need to be, what that thing is, and I'll be happy. I don't even need it to be Christianity. If you told me, if you laid out a system for why Islam is right, I'd be in. You know, they just want a nice, clear path to the next thing that is right. 
Um, and, and the, the problem is that works for some people. I think it does. I think a lot of people that transition from maybe, um, evangelical fundamental forms of Christianity into maybe progressive forms of Christianity are kind of doing that a lot of the time. They're, they're moving into another kind of certain, oh, well, here we are. We've got it right. We basically had it right. We just need to let go of penal sub, maybe somehow let the, um, uh, the LGBTQ community come in and do a bit more social justice. There, we, we figured it out. We're in. We've got it. I'll move day, so I have done. to spend in, in deconstruction before the reconstruction. Exactly. Like, before I get to 20, that. It's been 24 set. hours. Is that enough time to just swap the system <laughs> for a whole new system? This has been a terrible day, Phil. Am I good? Am I done? Um, and some people, yes. Yeah, that, that does seem to be. And, and they really function and thrive in a, in, a, in a system like that. But on the whole, most people don't get that nice landing pad where they get a nice certain... I think some people that transition into a, a very hard atheism can do that as well. Sometimes they're doing the same thing. They're, they're finding a very solid landing pad that's very black and white. But it does feel that most of us are starting to come out and go, oh, maybe there's not a destination. Maybe this is just a... Maybe the ticket I get, it doesn't have a destination written on it. It's like, you live on a train now, but I'm here. You know, the divine is here and we'll enjoy the train rides and we'll get off every night again at every stop and go for a journey and explore and learn and pick up some things. And then we'll jump back on the train and go on the journey again. But we're not, there, there isn't a, oh, it's 12 more stops until we get to perfection. It's no, no, no. This is perfection. If you can stop and be present and enjoy it and, and wake up and, and, and look at it and go, God, this is shit right now. Cause that thing happened to my friends and I'm not feeling a bit depressed, but it's actually perfect. That's okay. These things are okay. The, the the bad, the good, it's it's all what is. Um, that's a really hard transition to make, I think. There's one more element, like in my personal journey, you know, to that because you can um, talk about you know focusing away from it just being about the destination to it's about the now, and there is no destination, um, which can sound like oh, it's you know it's the journey, you know, is the destination, and then you can like turn it into a little. Poster. It's very cliche. <laughs> put it on your wall for me when you're talking about heaven was always the destination you know you're store you have a miserable life but you're storing up treasure in heaven but you know if you're going back to what you know jesus said about the kingdom of god it is among is it among you but more often than not you can't see it so my like person after coming very you know having very close experiences with with death um so my yeah I think I moved from the place of you know believing in heaven that it was a thing that happened to you when you died to believing probably in nothing and then coming to a place where you know I, I currently believe that it is the present moment and it is the now that connects us to the heaven which which exists throughout time and you know and can be reached I think you know I think that you know when you die we are kind of absorbed back into the loving heart that sits at the heart of the universe i'm not all mm. just you know just like completely oh it's science is be is my new god now i believe in nothing but i do believe you know when you're talking about it just being well it's the journey it's not the destination but it's it's the present moment that if you yeah. kind of go deep enough into that if you tunnel right down into it you connect with this kind of heaven or nirvana yeah. or you know garden of allah or whatever you want to call it this this place that can be accessed by people and i just find that like there's an idea that isn't there you know oh you know probably people from my background think oh emily's backslidden yeah she believes in science now like she doesn't believe in god and isn't that sad that nothing's spiritual for her anymore and it's but for me actually 
living in this world where I believed that everything, you know, that, you know, that the spiritual things that were going to happen to me were going to happen to me after I died. And I was going to be in this magical place. I'm actually, you know, in a place in my life where I think that same place can be accessed daily. If you, if you know, yeah. if, if you want it to be, if you're able to, whilst you're having your cup of tea or walking the dog or washing the dishes or shouting at the children or whatever you're doing, you can be aware of this kind of underlying reality which is not mm. a distant thing at the end of life but is a thing which is which is very much now and and just saying oh there is no destination it's just a journey sounds like like a bit of a poor alternative maybe like you're yeah. never gonna get anywhere you've just got the now you've just got do you know what going on holiday you know to the seaside <laughs> maybe you know going to spain it's not about Spain and the beach and the ice cream kids. It's just about this car journey to the airport with mummy and daddy arguing. Isn't that fun? Because it's all about the journey. And if we're told that it's just the journey <laughs> and that you'll never get anywhere and you're going to be stuck in this perpetual cycle yeah. driving around in a car with people having arguments, yeah. being being stuck on a train with someone with bad body odour, like, and you're never actually going to go and sit on the beach and put your feet up or, or go and hike yeah. those mountains. It, doesn't sound very exciting does it yeah well i think the thing is that we are all on journeys and a lot of us don't do it well right so at the end of the day it, while it is about a journey and not the destination it's about engaging with that journey in a totally different way right so like you're talking there if we have this very rigid spiritual concept right so this is spiritual that's not spiritual these people are spiritually safe these people are spiritually dead or you know all these kind of things like people will say to you oh emily's gone and backslid and she's not spiritual anymore and you're like actually i'm spiritual but i'm just spiritual in the ways you are and the ways that you think can't be spiritual i'm actually spiritual in every area well, maybe not um, maybe i'm just really not spiritual in any way and i'm just completely who deluded. knows <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they are as well, you know, so we can play that game all day. But I think it's the thing of like, it's, it's starting to go, no, what it is is, so why do I enjoy the beach? Why did I enjoy that hike? Why did I enjoy hanging out with my family in Spain, but not hanging in my, out with my family in the airport on the way to Spain? And it's going, what is that thing? And can I do that in the airport? Can I do that at work? Can I do that when I'm juggling three kids and trying to fold laundry and not, you know, trip over the dog and kill someone that comes to the door to ask if I want to donate to charity just because I'm at the end of my tether? Can I do it in all these different concepts, not just in Spain, not just when I'm, you know, finally got a moment on my own, uh, you know, at the end of the day? Or Honestly, I think that's like almost all of the conversation, isn't it? Surely. It, it like, is, right? I mean, but that's it. It is all this thing. It's, it's learning to be present and, and, and connect and realise, gosh, this very second is just as spiritual as the last one. It's just as full of potential as the last one. It's just as much the kingdom of God as the last one. And it's just as much the kingdom of God as any other moment I could construct in the future in my wishful thinking. You know, the 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 holiday I'm dreaming of, the heaven and the nirvana I'm going to get to one day. I it could be this moment. It could be. Do you ever hear people talking about mindf <laughs> mindfulness and meditation and you're like, oh no, something else to add to my to-do list. Like I'm already trying to keep the house clean and I'm failing. I'm failing so Seriously. much. Seriously. And I'm supposed to be walking the dog more and the dog needs walks and the kids want quality time. But I've now got to meditate for two hours. I'm going to have to get up at five o'clock. Like, and then you've not meditated or you've not had like some time for you. You've not had time yeah. for you as well as time for everyone else and you're failing and you're never going to be a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. I started to think at one point, like, can women, can mothers 
ever be enlightened? Can you ever like reach a state of enlightenment? <laughs> or is that something just for unmarried men who can like go and sit up a hill somewhere and yeah, yeah. like be a monk or like be a hermit and have all of this time? It's like mothers just can't do that because you're always behind. There's always stuff that you know you should be doing that you're not mm. doing. You know, obviously that isn't your mothers don't have a monopoly on that, but you know, that's my experience. So it's that thing, isn't it, of like how even whilst I'm having an argument with my children, how am I going to be in my body? How am I going to be? The word isn't the word intentional, such a good word, but yeah. like intending to do things, not just doing something because someone's accidentally dropped you into the wrong life and you're just living it going, Oh, what's this? What's that person? What am I supposed to do? Like, Oh, Oh, Oh no, there's something I haven't done. Do the thing. And what, what am I doing anyway? To live like that, it's so easy. I spend a lot of my life living like that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I have moments no, where I feel, you know, connected and everything makes sense. But most of the moments, you know, that I have are just spent going, you know, trying to find going through the big piles of odd socks and, you know, <laughs> yeah. standing on. No, I hear it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's these stories that we're telling ourselves constantly, right? I mean, we're constantly framing our whole world in a story. And then our world never lives up to this story, right? So the, the story is that I should be enlightened. The story is I should be the perfect husband. I should be the perfect mother. I should be um, much more intentional about doing meditation. I should be more connected to God. I should have my spiritual life figured out. And all these stories we're telling ourselves are just torturing ourselves, right? Because they're not the truth, right? I mean, uh, the, the, the reality is I am what I am, right? I, I'm, I'm not going to meditate 10 hours a day because I don't meditate for four hours a day. I don't meditate for four minutes a day. So let's first of all get realistic and go, telling myself I should be meditating for eight hours a day or whatever is only setting myself up to just be tortured all day and feel like a terrible human being. Um, and I think like we do this nonsense. I think this is a, I think this is probably a very default component to human nature on some level is, is creating these narratives and then beating ourselves up. But I do think we learn to do it really well in an upbringing in the church. I mean, if there's a, if there's a place that builds a narrative about shoulds and should nots, the evangelical church has got that down, right? We love to paint the should and should nots and then live entire lives full of guilt, right? You shouldn't have a sex drive. Good God. Like, I don't know any guys or girls that don't live with absolute tormented shame and guilt just because they're teenagers, right? And it's because they're taught you should not on any level have any form of sex drive. God, what a way if, to screw if up a person. you've look, you know, looked at a woman in the wrong way, you've committed adultery in your heart and all of that. Exactly. Things. Yeah. I mean, how many people are running this narrative? Nonsense. I mean, I was for, God, a decade straight probably, um, probably more. Um, and most people I know are doing that. And it's not even, a, I think it's more acceptable to talk about that for guys because it's a big thing that all the guys are constantly talking about their addiction to porn and this and that and whatever. And, and it's because the guys are like, you know, constantly, you know, they're just carnal beasts and, you know, but, but then that creates a whole narrative where a whole bunch of girls are going, Oh, well, guys are like sexual beings and they can't control themselves, but girls, they, 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 they don't get turned on easily. They actually have to, you know, um, they have to be like, wooed and, and foreplay for hours well, a girl that actually gets turned on quickly which by the way about a third of women get turned on just as quickly as you know two thirds of men and vice versa you know um they're now creating this whole narrative of like i am i'm dirty i'm evil i what i shouldn't have a sex drive like a guy does or and so we've got these stories constantly tormenting people um yeah, it's it's just a, a really messy I think situation. It's, it's the thing where, you know, you've, 
you know, if you talk about spiritual abuse, um, as opposed to the abuse you'd receive in an office or in a relationship, you can leave the office. You've got a bad boss. You mm. shut the door. The boss goes home to his house. You go home to your house. Um, or even if you're in a relationship that's bad, you can leave the relationship. But if your God in the God in your head is this constant voice of, of like, you're not good enough. You take that with you everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you, if, if that, ver- you know, if the version you have of God is, is a version that, that doesn't move or change, then you can't be rid of that. Yeah. And it becomes this, you know, that's a real act of faith for me is thinking, well, well, my beliefs are things that I choose. My beliefs aren't the things that are actually true because it would be ridiculous to thinking that I'm the only person in the universe who actually has everything right and that my beliefs are are the definitively true ones. So my beliefs are the things that I choose to believe. Mm. And why not, you know, choose to believe in a God who is loving and a God who is kind and a God who is good because you know we know deep down that anything else other than that just jars with us you know we meet someone who says that they believe in god but they're an awful person and they say god is like this and god is wrathful and god is vengeful and you know but i think if you you know for me i just looked you know deeply at things and deep into my own heart and deep into other people's hearts and thought you know i'm just gonna choose to believe in a god that is a god of love and if there are verses in the Bible that feel that they contradict with this, then honestly, like I don't speak Greek and Hebrew. I'd rather just believe that, that the loving, you know, core of the universe, that the center of everything is, is, is good and that it's on our side. You know, when mm. it's so easy to live life thinking everything's against me, that day didn't work out, the universe is deliberately against me. And honestly, if the universe in your head is against you, you're not going to win. How can you win against the universe? That's like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I think it just takes that act of faith. And I think if there's people who've come from this background of faith, just believe things. It's like, well, now, you know, you get to choose, you get to choose the direction that your faith is going to take. And if it's going to take faith, why not use that faith and say, this is the God that I choose to believe in the sort of God that I want to see show up for me, the sort of God I want to yeah. see show up for my friends and the people that I love, the sort of, you know, love that I would like to see taking root around me. And it's so easy to spend a lot of time. Um, I did it actually, you know, when I, I'd reconnected back with kind of church and I found this group of people who were very similar to me, I needed a lot of laughing. (laughs) Mm. I needed a lot of time to going like, Oh my God, did you sing this song in church with that lyric? Did you think what I thought about that lyric? Did you think that thing? Oh, you did. I thought I was alone. That's really funny. Can we laugh for 20 minutes now? Yeah. Like I've done all of that because I think I needed to because there was a bit of a healthy catharsis and feeling that the times when I'd suffered alone and feeling that then mm. I had a chance to kind of to suffer alongside people who had also been suffering alone. And I think that's probably what a lot of your community does. So yeah. I'm not kind of belittling that, but I do think there is a time for like, okay, like now we've talked about this awful God that had been created, you know, by the people in our upbringing. And now like it's time to just let's let that version of God just go on the back burner for a bit and let's just use our faith and start to believe in the God that we really believe <laughs> exists. Mm. Yeah. Even if that, you know, I, I, I love all that Paul Tillich stuff about the ground of being in Christ we live and move and all of those things. Like for me, coming back to that, as kind of like a meditative place 
you know, when suddenly anxiety hits, struggle loads of anxiety. For some of the stuff mm. I've been through in life, it's really easy just to have this underlying sense of anxiety kind of underpinning those daily yeah. events. But to think, you know, to have these little mantras and things that we repeat to ourselves. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To get to think, I can talk for a long time about all the things I don't believe and all the ways <laughs> that people hurt me. And honestly, some of that is probably good and it's good to acknowledge things and not pretend that they didn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. But but there's also a time when I actually want to start talking about some of the beautiful things again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have you, when you have gone about re- reconstructing, I hate that phrase as well. Um, but isn't you know, that funny you, that you, you hate that phrase you, and you're forced yeah. you're forced to use it because it's- I'm just thinking you're 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 you are constructing a a framework a, a, a narrative in which to exist, right? So you're talking about. Um, I'm going to use my faith. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do any of us know? I don't know that. I've come to this place where I'm at least able to admit that now. A bit more humble going, well, actually, we never knew anyway. We were just kind of guessing as best we could anyway. But you're going, but I am going to exercise this faith to go, well, if I'm going to believe in something, like, let me, let it be good. Let it be amazing. Let it be this, this thing that is beautiful, that is, you know, inclusive, that is whatever, um, that is for me, that is not destructive and violent and punitive and whatever. Um, when it comes to constructing that framework and that that thing to believe in, do you feel that you pulled a lot of that from the the kind of the background which you are letting go of? Like you know, it sounds like you still are very much framing a lot of it in a Christian kind of um, concept to some degree. Is that fair to say, or are, are, is there a kind of this blend where you are pulling a lot of stuff that comes from your path? from Christianity or is this a, hard to know isn't it when you live inside or... your own head <laughs> yeah it, it is it is yeah it's it's a very hard thing to escape your own subjectivity I guess but um... I think I always read a lot and I think mm. for me you know there's two things um that are really that I've been grateful for and that's been perhaps reading and the other one's travel um mm. so I think that's been the two best ways that I've had to to find a perspective that is outside my own perspective because if I'm just going to talk about, you know, the conversations I've had with people or all of the, you know, the church experiences that I've had, if that had been the only input and I'd had to constantly go through this process of kind of reshuffling those words, reshuffling those early experiences in my head and rearranging them and trying to make sense of them. I've also had thrown into that mix um, huge amount of reading that I've done studying as well. It was lovely to get a degree, you know, several years ago with the open university and to, you know, to be introduced to all of those things and like travel is such a beautiful thing and I speak a little bit about that in my book because I didn't just want to do like an eat pray love book and I love that book I really do love that book but there was an element of it it's like oh Liz it's so great for you that you had the money to go and travel the world for a year (laughs) like I wish everyone who went through a divorce could do that I really do but there's a bit for me when I say, yeah, travel is a really important way to get outside your head and to gain some fresh perspectives from different cultures. But I honestly think that you can travel when you go down to the corner shop mm. and, the, and the owner is is from a different country and you can ask him about his childhood. You yeah. know, I think I think that there's an element of travel when speaking to older people or younger people and people from different generations. And you can yeah. say, OK, your outlook and your experience is different to mine. That comes from curiosity. And I love the word curiosity. And you know, me and my husband were talking about that recently. And we're like, if you are certain, if you mm-hmm. hold certainty, 
that removes the space for curiosity. Because if I'm certain that I already know you, if I'm certain that my beliefs are the right ones, why would I listen to you? Why would I be yeah. curious about you? Why would I be curious about a different culture when my, when I'm certain that my culture is the correct one? So, so when you move into this kind of like space of you know, inverted commas, you know, deconstruction, there's it, uncertainty kicks in, and with that comes curiosity, and with curiosity comes like interest in other cultures, mm. interest in other perspectives, perspectives, interest in other stories. So I think all those things are connected. And when you're going back and you're using the word um, like deconstruction, reconstruction. I love the word just creative. I think it was Brian McLaren who spoke about creative Christianity and, and Peter Rollins mm-hmm. talks about that in another way as well. So it's rather than this linear, you know, progression, you know, of a kind of a faith journey, but rather having these little creative forays. I wonder what's down here. Oh, you know, that didn't work out, but I learned something. Oh, what's this way? Or Alan Watts, who says that mm-hmm. life is not a journey, it's a dance. There's music playing. Yes. How do you respond to that music? You know, you shuffle off this way, you shuffle off that way. You know, you do a move in this direction. You know, you come back to the center, you know, you fall off the stage. Like life is just, rather than it being, you know, it's all deconstructed. Now it's all been put back together again. That sounds like, you know, it sounds formulaic in a way, doesn't it? Like mm, here are some pieces yeah. come apart. We're going to use the same pieces. We're going to put them back together again. But I love just thinking about life and about you know, faith and religion and philosophy and theology as, as just, just creative ex- experimentation, just giving mm. yourself permission to be curious, which I think comes from, giving yourself permission not to be certain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's definitely a degree of needing to come to a place where you could be wrong and that's okay. I think that's a big step for a lot of people because I don't think many people feel safe to explore and to um, experiment in their faith because they grew up in a concept of, if you step out of line, you're absolutely screwed. You are done. Like you're, you know, burning in your own fat for eternity. Um, and so it, it takes this point of coming to a place where on some level we can let go, like, oh, I don't believe that, or I'm not sure I believe God would do that. Or, you know, it's some leeway at a certain point we start to go, okay, ooh, open theism, you know, like Thomas Ord or whatever. And you just go, that sounds interesting. I might live my life like that's true for three weeks and see how it affects it. <laughs> Try know. it on. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. You know, I, I've, I've lived like that for quite a while now where I, I hear something I'm like, Ooh, what if I pretended that was true? I don't know what I think about it, but it's kind of a beautiful way to see the world. I'll just live like that's true for a week and see if my life is better or worse. And like then we'll a jacket see it from there. That you're thinking about um, buying. Just try it on yeah. a little bit. See how it fits. See how you feel. Absolutely. Go to a party in it. Yeah. yeah. And that's easier to do when you know that the shop isn't going to penalize you and charge you for the full price of the jacket if you on any level spill anything on it, right? Because if yeah. you do that, then you're really not fully experiencing this jacket, right? You're wearing the jacket, but you're inside and you're not going anywhere. It might get anything spilled on, you know? And there's Maybe a, totally a friend gives approach. you the jacket and says you can keep <laughs> this jacket if you want to keep it, but you don't exactly. have to keep it. It's yeah. a totally different um, way. So I think there's... There is a psychological breaking down of this fear of getting anything wrong. It's such a huge hurdle for most people. Like, how, how did you get through that component of, of feeling like you had permission to explore and to um, to try on the new jacket, you know, without a fear of screwing up, of getting it wrong, of, of stepping out of line? I think there's a real underlying fear of offending God. Do you know, like when you've been told, where you've had a friend and then they've disappeared and it's like they've actually they've actually disappeared and everyone mm. imagine yeah they backslid 
they fell off the edge they went to the dark side so like they they started talking about buddhism and you know and then we didn't see them again and now god won't talk to them either you know there's there's this sense of like if i go too far in one direction what am i going to find i ask too many questions am i going to find that god you know, there's a, there's a spotlight on the bits of God that we're allowed to look at. You really don't want to look at the other bits of God because God's really <laughs> creepy in those other places. You do not want to see what he's doing when we're not looking. You don't mm. want to see that. So once you get to the once I got to the place of, and I think I probably read that or heard that somewhere, someone saying, um, maybe even heard it on a podcast, but someone saying, honestly, you can just trust that you're, that God is not going to be offended if you start believing outrageous things. Like God's, God's a lot bigger than the little thoughts going on in your head and the little beliefs that you allow yourself to have or don't have but when you just say god is god is is more loving than you can comprehend and bigger than you mm. can comprehend and will not be offended by your little forays into other religions or your little forays into like oh can i can i you know be an atheist for a month or whatever it is you know you you feel drawn towards obviously with those things it's like i'm not just saying um do anything god's always there you know take drugs go crazy kind of you want mm-hmm. but you know for me i didn't really go to any of those places because i just thought i just want life i just want to breathe a bit easier i just want to you know to love more easily i want to feel more loved and that is the direction i chose to move in like if mm. i was going to say i'm so angry at god that i want to hate them and i want to be a satanist just to piss god off because god will still love me because god's really big and god will love me even if i'm a satanist like like, who knows? Who knows? Like hypothetically, <laughs> I'm even talking about. Suddenly, like, you know, when you have that out of body, body experience and you're looking in on yourself and you go, "What are you even talking about? <laughs> like, what even is Satanism? Like, who even invented that? Like, is Satan a thing? Is that is that a word that people understand? So fascinating, isn't it? It's, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> but I think that's the thing. It's just giving yourself permission that mm. if God is bigger than you can understand, and if you become aware that my angle on the truth is just my angle on the truth. I started reading a little bit of Jared Bias's book, um, Mm. Love Matters More. And he, you know, beautifully like starts that book saying different animals live in different spheres in which they're aware of their surroundings. You know, you can have a a dolphin Mm. lives in the sea and that's all it knows. It knows the sea and you have bats that make such high pitched noises. I can still hear bats, but a lot of adult men, they lose the ability Mm. to hear those higher noises, but that doesn't mean that those noises don't exist. So once you become aware that I'm living in this sphere, it was called an umwelt, or it had some word, I think in German for this kind of like this environment that animals operate in. And once you understand that they're your, um, your environment is limited. You know, your fi- you know, your vision only sees to a certain point. And then you think, but that doesn't mean that that's all there is, that God exists wow. outside of that as well. You know, outside of the sphere in which I operate and you know, the places that I can touch and see. And other people live in, in different countries with completely different experiences and not to be scared of what is outside your known world. And to think... Yeah you know, to allow yourself to expand into those spaces as well without like fear that God is going to somehow come and go like, oh my God, you just read something on Buddhism and you're going to hell. Which, um, 
Yeah. I think, yeah, you, you used the word permission. And I think you do need to give yourself permission for things like that, because mm. I think sometimes until we give ourselves permission or someone gives us permission, we just say, stay in the same place out of fear because that's what we've been told is safe. So, yes. No, I mean, it's, it's a huge deal and it's, it's a really hard kind of, I think it's a, one of the biggest, um, biggest initial steps is, is, you know, most people are exploring whether they like it or not because they just have found gaps in their, in their worldview and their theology and their Christianity and gone, this isn't adding up and I need to kind of start answering some of these questions I've got. But initially they don't have the permission. They're doing it almost against, uh, <laughs> against the, the will of God and certainly against the will of their pastor or their church or the Bible or, you know, their the friends, family. And, and yeah, there is this fear that is there. Um, and, and also I don't think there's a, there's no freedom to really go for it. You know, it is, a, oh, maybe I'll read this book, but I mean, like maybe if, if it's a, oh, he's a Christian. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of safe to read this book and this asking this question from a safe way, but there's not the freedom to go, well, actually, what if I picked up a book by a Buddhist that's asked that question? They might give me a totally different angle and perspective on this that might be very freeing and very um, rewarding to, to explore some of that. Um, and so I think it, it's a bit of a, a, you know, baby steps along the way. We kind of come to this place of learning to trust ourselves, to, to have permission, to, to maybe believe that if there is a divine out there that is much more gracious and loving and a bit more chilled out than we thought. Um, those are all kind of uh, part of the journey again I guess because if you've been told what to believe most of your life why not you know what's the difference between being told what to believe and actually choosing your own beliefs in in the face that yeah. that, that that God is a better God than the God that you were given as a child you know it's mm. like I don't think God would be offended I wouldn't be offended if someone painted a picture of me that was actually better than the real me why would yeah, I be please. offended if someone was like, oh, yeah, I heard Emily on this podcast and she said this and she was really this amazing. And they totally over-exaggerate how good I was or how kind I was or how loving I was or how attractive I was. I'd be like, thank you. You're like, I don't think we're going to yeah. offend God by going like, I actually don't believe in hell. I don't think God would send people to hell and God going like, oh my gosh, they said this terrible thing about me. They said that I don't burn people for, you know, for all eternity in in, in hell for not loving me the right way. Now I'm really offended. And now maybe I'm going to, maybe, yeah. maybe I had like disinvented hell. Maybe I'm going to invent it again just for this person because they said <laughs> nice things about me. Right. Yeah. Right. It's funny, yeah. the, the concept of, of the fact that we can be more loving than God or more gracious than God, more merciful than God, you know, all these different concepts that we have on some level that we kind of believe. Like as Christians, we, we, you know, we ask God to heal someone and it's like, so do you believe that you want that person to be healed more than God? But you're still calling this God a loving father, a, 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 the God that is love, the God that wills that no one would suffer and, um, and all these things like this idea of this perfect God, perfect Christianity. And yet really this God is still sitting there going, no, I'm not healing them until Phil is really, you know, does he moved, mean it? Does he know? mean it now? It's like, what kind of weird, horrible person is that? You know, <laughs> it's a really horrible God. Um, that is, is, is so limited. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. We create these things and, and that we, we, we do like we, it, it's a miracle that everyone around the world is born into the right religion. It's just, it's how it's, it's just amazing, isn't it? You know, we're all born into the perfect religion and we all, what were the odds, you know? Um, and yet somehow <laughs> you meet someone from the other side of the globe and you're like, <gasps> this person's a heretic, you know, but they were born into the right religion too. Just a different one being a 11, different part. I remember being about 11 and going like, so this is the truth. We have the truth. 
but then Muslim people don't. They think they have the truth. So why is my truth better than theirs? I've always had those questions in my head. How can you not? How can you not have those questions? Hey, what you're saying about prayer, though, I was having a conversation with um, Matt, with my husband this morning about it, and I got really het up about it. The whole like intervention, like providence thing. And we started talking. It was because we were talking about spiral dynamics. And I started trying to read Ken Wilber's book on Mm. the on the subject. And um, he'd said something about evolution always expands and includes. And we're like, Mm. no, no, it doesn't. Because, you know, that just isn't quite what evolution is. Anyway, we got into this whole argument about evolution, conversation. I'll say conversation. (laughs) Um, And so for me, like the thing was, yeah, that experience, I said to him, like, I've got some baggage with this because I've seen people who were hurting, who were begging for God to come down and to intervene and heal them. And like, and like they need to believe in miracles. They need to believe that these magical moments can happen because they want to believe that their reality can someday be a different reality than the reality that they're currently living in. And they just want it to change and they want to know that God loves them. So they will fast and they will beg and they will cry. And I'm, and I, that just breaks my heart because I always just want to say, well, God's already here, you know, like, why are you, you're sitting in this, you know, there's a bit in my book where I'm in an all night prayer vigil in Venezuela on a, in a German colony on the side of a mountain. Um, And there were strawberries growing there and there was sunlight and it was beautiful. And we arrived there and were taken straight to an all night prayer vigil. And I'm like, people are crying out for God and they're crying out for something Mm. to change. And I said, why aren't you just outside eating strawberries? Like, God's already here. Like, why are we crying and weeping and gnashing our teeth and, you know, begging that God shows us that he loves us? And it's not that I don't believe in miracles or don't believe in, like, supernatural things. Tell you, I've seen some weird things in my life. It's not that I'm just, like, science or it has to be evidenced, but it's just this desire to say, you know, when people feel that God is visiting other people, but not them, that God is answering other people's prayers, but not theirs. And maybe they're not praying hard enough. You just want to say, just stop, just walk out of that space. Look at the sky. Like, like my poem about the walls, the walls came down. Oh, the sky there. What's better sky or walls, (laughs) you know, what's more beautiful (laughs) to look at. Yeah, so that kind of like it pains me. It pains me to feel to remember yeah. my younger self that praying so hard, um, talking to God, begging God to do things as if you're trying to twist his arm, you know, mm. rather yeah. than maybe just listening, maybe just being quiet as you're trundling around the house, tidying up or doing your weekly shop, just being in that space of listing that maybe God speaks to you through the the checkout assistant, you know, or that you have a little moment of kindness with someone or that you, you know, you learn something new or you expand your vision a little bit. Um, yeah. And then why not call that God? Why, why is the only way that God speaks to us through some sort of like supernatural visitation when someone's leg grows longer than the other leg? Why would yeah. God do that? And not talk to you through the checkout assistant in a supermarket. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. He's got a thing I, about legs growing, hasn't he? It's a miracle. Yeah. God. He, he's really big into it. He really just, likes that, that. That's if God has a parlor trick, it's legs growing out. Um, you know, if he if he pulls out his party trick and he goes, All right guys, watch this. Yeah. Always a leg growing out. 
um, if in doubt. I briefly had a little, talking about God's party tricks, I briefly had a little podcasting going by myself. I didn't take it for too far because I, you know, I wanted to make it a little bit more, um, yeah, I think I needed some help. I'm not very good with the technology. But anyway, I did. There's one episode which is available. I think if you search for it, you might be able to find it, which was, um, it was the podcast was this Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns, same as my book. And there was an episode which was Jesus Joins Me for a Birthday slash Christmas special. So I actually had Jesus on the podcast and it was so good because I finally got to ask him like all the questions <laughs> that I'd asked him. And he did actually say that it's really annoying at parties because everyone's like, hey, Jesus is here. We don't need to buy the wine. We just set the water down and he does his little party trick. Amazing. That, he Amazing. said that was pretty annoying. That gets old, I'm sure. Yeah. It gets pretty old pretty <laughs> fast. He was really rolling his eyes. Yeah. Oh, it was beautiful having that conversation with Jesus. I said some things like some people wrote in some questions as well for the things they had to ask him. And they said, so, you know, what music do you listen to? Who's your favourite band? And everyone thought he was going to say the Beatles. And he was like, oh, you know, 400 years you know, after I died, there was this kind of this old guy living on the side of this hillside in Albania who played the flute and he could just do this one tune. And it was just like, because <laughs> you forget, don't you, that Jesus has that that much perspective. He's not just going to be talking about the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> I love it. But that was a good conversation to have. I think we miss, you know, touching on that whole concept of like how we are so fixated with, well, if we are just pray enough, we'll have revival. If we pray enough, we'll get another miracle. We'll, you know, if, if someone is dying, we need to be fasting and praying in a locked closet for them to be healed when actually sitting with them in the process of dying is maybe much more healthy and whole and, and beautiful um, and needed. Um, I think we miss a lot of life. You know, that example of death, I think Christians do not engage with the concept of something like death very well. We don't engage with the concept of, of sickness very well. We, because we're taught to overcome and run from these things. Now, I do think we should be trying to heal people if we can heal them, right? <laughs> Obviously, if someone's, you know, sick and we could take them to a doctor and get them fixed, let's do that. If we can pray for them and they're healed, great. Let's do that as well. I, I'm not even against that. But I do think when we get to the point where we're, forgoing the option to love this person, to sit mm. with this person, to be with this person, to grieve with this person, to mourn, you know, the, whatever it is. I, I've, I've seen so many people very close to me and, and further away um, from me, just, or just talking to people on Instagram or whatever that have lost the opportunity to be with someone in a healthy way as they died because they had to be with them in the Christian way. Um, and now, I mean, the person is dead, right? They don't get the opportunity to do that again. You know, that, that We're has trying gone to say all them. the right things and yeah. you know, I mean, it's, all the it's, right it's, it's really tough. I know for me, when my mother, my mother passed a couple of years ago from cancer, quite young, I think 59, you know, so very young these days. Um, and different members of my family engage with that very differently. But most of my family are from a kind of very charismatic um, evangelical background. And so obviously people praying for healing there was you know we, we we were quite well connected so you know you got like bill johnson and all the big names are all praying for her or whatever and and you know she died and yeah that was uh, for different people in my family that was a very different experience based on really more than anything the degree to which they were believing in herbs being miraculously healed trusting in a prophetic word you know really trying hard to believe, pray and and 
and that had real repercussions, you know, based and, and, and real trauma to work through and, and, and pain and grief and uh, on a whole nother level than you have just generally losing a loved one is, is a very hard process to go through. But I often think about my mom as well. And I'm like, gosh, like, I don't, I, I think she was a very evangelical Christian as well. Um, so she probably wanted that in her worldview, but I don't know if that's what she needed. You know, I think having someone sit with her, having read and studied about the process of um, people dying, I've, I've studied a lot over the last few years and read different books from people that work in hospices or maybe spiritual people. Ram Dass's book on, on death is absolutely stunning. Um, but reading these books of like, wow, there is a way to help someone die really well mm. and that's a really absurd saying for a christian to die well because mm. to die is 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 this we lose now in another sense we win and therefore we don't even have to acknowledge it because oh they're they're, they're gone you know I, I think of my dad and you know he was the morning of my mother's death who called people and be like hey great news my wife's in, in glory you know and he's not even engaging with the the, the pain. pain of loss of a wife because you're not allowed to you're supposed to be happy happy about this and and it's a really weird dynamic so i think there's just so many components that we have in our faith of like we're praying and miracles and and things like that that they cause us to escape reality and maybe on some level they are escape mechanisms i I don't know um yeah i I think a lot of it is about um fear of death you know if you look into a lot Mm. of philosophy and if you go so much of it is like we are animals what sets us apart as animals is we're aware that we're going to die we're aware of that you know we could Mm. happily be in the moment if the moment was all there was but we're aware that we're going to die and that is traumatic you know I've lived with you know trauma as people would you know would classify trauma but actually just to be that's a unit to be traumatized is a universal experience I think because we're aware of our death we're aware that our loved Mm. ones are going to die and to get to a point where you make deep peace with that, honestly, it's not easy. It's just not easy. So I do think, you know, that, that you know, as Christians, it's it, it's very easy to, to find these little mechanisms that help us put off actually facing that question and actually dealing with that question. Though you, you would think for me in grief and in those things, I think community is one of the most important things. And knowing that all of those people loved your mum. And all of those mm. people were willing to stop what they were doing and to hold her in their prayers and in their thoughts was a community coming around and was a deep expression yeah. of love. And, you know, if that was something that, you know, people were able to tune into saying, you know, yes, these prayers, but these were the prayers just there to work or not to work? Or were the prayers there as, as, as a display of just deep love and care and actually not yeah. wanting to lose your mum and actually wanting to say, God, we, we don't want to lose Phil's mum. You know, we want her with us. And that's, if you look at it from that angle, that's just a deep, beautiful mm, expression of, it's a very beautiful thing. of love, but also mm. very difficult when you're actually believing that God loves you in, you know, and God is going to show that love yeah. by your mum not dying. And then obviously that, that's really hard. That's really yeah. hard. No, absolutely. And it obviously does. And, and these mechanisms work for a huge amount of people, right? A lot of people go through these things and don't end up walking away with huge trauma, right? I mean, I just had a, an expert on trauma on my podcast last week, and he's talking about, you know, hell. Um, and that's a common theology that people point to is, oh, this is religious traumatic uh, uh, theology that causes people to be traumatized. And he says, no, it's not particularly. He says, not everyone. our response to the theology of hell is what's traumatic 
because SARS have a terrifying, horrifying response and we don't get to piece of a pacifier and to, to come to some sort of resolution. The people that do manage to do that don't seem to be traumatized by hell. Um, but it's actually do you think those that's that not have just that a thing of belief process. though. Like if you truly, truly believed in hell, um, I don't think I got to the point of ever truly believing that. So I don't feel traumatized yeah. by the idea of hell. But if you were to truly believe it, if you witness a car accident, um, and you know, and you can't do anything. You're caught in that freeze response. Yeah. That you know, that's trauma because that moment keeps being re- relived because you weren't able yeah. to do anything. And if you're thinking that all of your non-Christian friends or all of your Christian friends that weren't good enough Christians, that they're going to hell, and actually, even if you pray all with all your strength, it still wasn't enough. You're observing that kind of accident, that ongoing accident happening. Mm. Is that I'll have to listen to the episode, but for me, like if you really believe that, like, gosh, that's just traumatizing on this whole level because it's not just a quick death; it's this this, this permanent punishment, isn't it? It's massive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all about the the resolution component, isn't it? I mean, you've got this huge response that fires up in your body, and if it isn't pacified, if it isn't kind of brought to a resolution, that's that's the birth of trauma and. Yeah, I guess it probably is resolved in different ways by different people. Some people probably go, wait a minute, that seems ridiculous. I don't believe that. On, even if it's on a very um, uh, low conscious level, maybe we're not even thinking that through as much, but just that we're kind of subconsciously going, I don't really believe that. Like, let's keep moving on. Um, or maybe we have other, other ways of engagement. Maybe we believe it on such a huge level that we go, oh yeah, but obviously I'm safe or I'm, I'm good and my family are safe and maybe everyone we kind of love is fine. So we're kind of like, oh, it didn't really traumatize me because everyone I know, because I live in this tiny little Christian bubble mm-hmm. and I'm not allowed outside of it, doesn't really traumatize me because I don't really mind if the greengrocer down the street goes to hell because I don't really know him. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we go to the Christian greengrocer that way. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, but you, you know, uh, there's probably different ways that people engage with it, but it's so, it is so fascinating how, yeah, how, how we can, our theology can pacify and can be actually a response to trauma that actually works. Or it can actually, the same theology can actually be the thing that causes trauma and gets us stuck in these kind of loops that we can't close. Um, so you try to, it, your fear of death, you help it evaporate by believing in heaven that you have mm-hmm. a ticket to, but then like, but that brings in this whole possibility of hell. So in like trying to tackle your fear of death, you end up in some ways yeah. just making it worse. Yeah. Or maybe you're fine for now, but then 10 years from now, when you start to question a completely separate theology, you start to go, wait, but if I do that, then I'll believe in hell. Uh, then I'll be going to hell. And so then you, this, this theology that you built to pacify yourself 10 years down the line comes up and goes, hi, I'm here to traumatize you. Um, which so, I've heard I, a lot of. Yeah. People who, you know, again, inverted commas, deconstruct things. And then way down the line, I've got one friend who she's like, occasionally, I just think I've got like four kids. What if they're going to hell and it's my fault? That thought mm. will just come from nowhere where, you know, she's not given it space, yeah. you know, yeah. because you've got that kind of foundation. So it's all about like refusing synapses in healthier, you know, directions, isn't it? And doing that work in which we can, I don't know. It's hard, yeah. isn't it? So what's it's it like? It's so understandable then? though. Living in this, living in this space, and having these conversations with people all of the time. Do you get upset? Do you sleep? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I. I love. I love this because I love helping people process mm. this and get through it. Um, I'm probably a bit of a weird component 
like as far as humanity goes on my 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 makeup is just this weird mix that i'm not too fussed about a lot of things and i don't engage with things on certain levels that maybe other people spend their whole lives engaging with things on that level i, I don't know um but I, I i love it i love asking questions i love uncertainty i love exploring um i love helping people and and kind of not giving them the certainty they need but kind of slowly eking them out into a bit more uncertainty and kind of holding their hand making them that know it's safe I love the whole process, but uh, I've never really had the traumatic response to, oh my gosh, I might be wrong and I might go to hell. Because the way I've engaged with that forever is like, God, if there is really a hell and there's a God that would send people there, I want to be anywhere that God isn't. Fuck that guy. That has been my kind of response. That might be a very logical, rational, disconnected from my emotions kind of response. And maybe if I actually get deep enough, I'll be suddenly traumatized and terrified. I don't know. Um, but on the whole, I, I just, I, I've never, maybe, and, and then maybe hell never traumatized me. Maybe it, it wasn't a thing that, that got me on that level, right? Maybe so, you're just not quite bad enough. Yeah. Maybe you're just like lukewarm. Yeah. Know? I mean, maybe but I've always been a bit bad. You see, you, you think get it's spat out. Really That's bad the worst. Thing. Better to be cold. <laughs> yeah. It's better to be really, really bad. Yeah. I don't, I think, I think this part as well, though, and I don't know if you've experienced this as someone that's questioned a lot and, and always being someone that asks a lot of questions. There's a component as well of like, you get used to kind of, well, what if I'm wrong? Ah, okay. Yeah. I've had that thought a thousand times so far. You know, like it's, it's, I think it's almost, it becomes a bit like, oh, that's not actually a new or terrifying concept. I'm, I'm always wondering if I'm wrong. And, and I'm always kind of going, ah, oh, that's always been the case. I could have been wrong. Um, or when you change your mind so often, you're like, oh, I've, I've got to the point where God must be pretty much at peace with me being wrong because I've had, 110 opinions so far and so far 109 of them certainly were wrong um and this one i'm not that sure i'm right but i think it's more right than the last 109 um are all your beliefs kind of these borrowed jackets then that you're just like trying on for size and fit or, constantly or, or going back think, to try another one you, and stitch them together <laughs> do you think that you actually have like a favorite jacket that you're just secretly clinging on to and actually like know that all of the other jackets are just you trying them on and this is this is you know, this is the belief we, that you're going to stick to. I think we all have um, things that feel more comfortable. I think there's certain language or certain like makeups that work with our culture, our socially constructed personalities and, and makeups, all these things, our family backgrounds, you know, our background in faith. You know, there's, there's certain things that probably predispose us towards something or away from something. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's certain things that I, I find particularly beautiful. I, I do find certain teachers someone like alan watts or ram das i'm like oh there's something about this i like that um there's uh, you know maybe experiments with psychedelics you know taking some mushrooms and going whoa okay that lines up more with this kind of like world than that and that makes me open up to this much more than open to something like that um and so different experiences or different backgrounds well i think it's natural that we're going to gravitate towards certain jackets right uh, and that's kind of what I was prodding at there, where I was like, when you're in the process of like trying to explore a new way of believing and a new ideas and what will this new faith be that I'm constructing and um, building, um, creating creatively. Um, mm. How much of that is, oh, I've got these 10 other jackets I've tried on. And maybe if I stitch the left arm and the right arm in that pocket onto this new thing I found, maybe it will be right. You know, like, of course we're going to do that, right? Because we like the left arm and the right arm in that pocket. 
I don't like the rest of it, but I really like those parts, right? Um, and maybe after I've gone through a hundred other jackets, you go, actually, I kind of like the zip on that jacket back there. I'm going to go back and get that as well. You know, it's, it's natural that we kind of bounce around, I think. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with kind of figuring it out as we go. And that's just the way you explain that, you know, it's just, it's creative, isn't it? I like this stylistically. This is a good fit. I'm going to borrow this from there. Um, To allow yourself to have a relationship with something other than yourself in a creative way that involves movement and dance and change and growth. Um, such a beautiful thing and I do think and I, I like to listen to you and imagine you know my my one of my past selves listening to you being yeah but the truth he's talking about loads of jackets here but the truth is absolute the truth yeah, has just to one be jacket. absolute it's just what it is you can't chop and change it he's talking about chopping and changing literally talking about chopping and changing the truth yeah. oh bless him what a shame you know, he was so used yeah. by God at one point, and now he's just chopping and changing. I was, I know. It's heartbreaking, it's but hard. isn't that a beautiful thing? But if you look at that kind of logically, are you going to think to have someone sat in a congregation, nodding their head, doing what they're told, um, trying really hard to believe the things that the pastor is telling them to believe, failing a lot at it, trying to bury their depression because they think that they're, no one in the church is going to want to see their depression, and actually just trying to say the right things and trying to live the right life. If you were God, you know, to engage with that person would be, you know, would be like, hey, you know, I'm a real person here. Like, this isn't just like some sort mm. of a, like, uh, I don't know, some sort of a business club where you have to put on certain manners and do things in certain ways. As soon as you have, as soon as like, I'm such a creative, I'm like, everything's creative. Like my art, I love teaching people how to paint I love learning how to write. I love kind of like yesterday, what I did was I love um, at the moment trying to cut out plastic and trying to, you know, to think like that. You're talking about like spiral dynamics. I'm like, ooh, very much in the phase of like, oh, shit, like I can't buy new clothes. I have to buy everything secondhand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all the bits of wax from old candles, they, um, I can't throw them away because it's still wax. And I was like, what do I do? So I had this jar of like pieces of wax. Then I put all the pieces of wax in a jam jar. Then I had these little um, stick candles and I put the stick candle in the middle and lit it. And as it went down, it like burnt all of the wax. And I'm like, yeah, oh, nice. this is life changing. And that must be some smell, the mix of all those different All the different wax. I put in some essential oil. I was watching it like, what's going to happen? Is it all going to burn? Is the glass going to break? <laughs> But isn't that kind of just approach to every, just questioning every element of kind of like life? Like, is there a better way to make a cup of tea? There must be because I'm not that good at it. Yeah, you know, like I'll get my how, wife to do it probably. How can <laughs> we embrace? How can yeah. we embrace life fully and ask interesting questions and try doing things in new ways? Mm. Try approaching faith in new ways. Try approaching God in new ways. Like showing some interest, sitting in a pew every Sunday, and yawning a lot. Like finding ways to actually be interested in yeah. theology, in some sort of some some being that's outside of yourself or inside of yourself and engaging with it and playing mm. playfully, creatively, like fun. Isn't fun a good word? Yeah. People, you know, when you're talking to people, I think I've listened to a couple of your episodes. Um, the one with the lady who'd been a pastor who became a stripper. That was great. Oh gosh, and, yeah. And okay. there's that, that element of um let's just have some fun with this let's laugh 
when I went through like deep grief and loss and trauma, I like formed a comedy duo and went on tour with John Cooper Clark. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Oh, he's like a punk poet um, from, okay. from Manchester. He's a bit of a British celebrity. So that was like my response to like grief and to trauma was to just to do something completely mm. like random. But at least I was doing something that made me feel like this is my authentic response. It is a weird yeah. response. It is an abnormal response, but it is my response to grief is to process it by going on tour with famous poet people and having a real laugh with my friend um and like giving myself permission for that thinking this is yeah. what this is my journey no one else is on this journey this is how I choose to embrace what's happening to me and it's like when with pain and it was I think Glennon Doyle helped me quite a bit with that was like pain is a traveling professor it's not a hot potato mm. so talking about the pain of leaving a church or leaving a community or leaving a marriage because you've got deconstruction, all of these things that happen. It's like, if that pain is just going to be wasted, that aches my heart. And I mean by wasted, by mm. not listened to. So when you've, you know, you've, someone has died or some, or the path that you were on has been disrupted to then say to that pain, okay, I'm here and I'm listening. I'm not going to push you away any sooner than I need to. And I'm going to stay open. So my thing mm. was staying open, not putting up kind of walls. Yes, boundaries when it comes to people. Boundaries are so important, aren't they? But like we can yeah. just harden ourselves against the world and pretend we're not in pain. And it's best just to on, just to admit that you're in pain and to stay open to it all. Yeah, um, gosh, absolutely. You know, talking about, you know, that journey that life's taken me on so far of like all of these spanners thrown into the works i was thinking about mm. evolution like how many like you know how many things happened you know to humans and to animals as we've been evolving that have suddenly like oh no it's a volcano the dinosaurs have gone it's a meteor it's like oh there's pollution in london all the moths aren't matching on the trees like <laughs> all of these things that happen and then the stuff that happened you know that the, all the change that happens in response to it but it yeah. needs a degree of openness because the saddest thing is to be clinging to that faith that's already died or clinging to that relationship that's already died and just going, no, this was all I had. This was the only option. And now it's gone. And just having that lifelong scream of like, no, you know, yeah. and that's like, I think there is some of that that happens, isn't there? When people's faith gets yeah. upturned and maybe it needs Absolutely. to, but for it to be, that ongoing pain for the rest of life, just being the pain of just thinking that there isn't a new path after the old path has come to an abrupt end is. is mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's not, it's not a fun journey if you aren't able to kind of adapt to become a bit more flexible and a bit more open to the uncertainty of it. You know, like you talk about evolution there, you know, and, at the end of the day, the the animals that are completely inflexible and black and white and how they function and they have very little, you know, um, variety or whatever, they don't survive very well when a big catastrophic kind of scenario or even a minor change happens, you know, and oh, all the moths died. So that was our food. So what do we do? Oh, we're dying. Oh, great. Good, good call. You know, good or call. Like pandas, <laughs> right? You know, like pandas, right? I mean, we are fighting against evolution to keep pandas alive because pandas have made a choice to die and they made a choice to die a while back. And there's other components in there, but it's like, guys, eat something different, right? You know, at a certain point, 
you got to mix it up. You say like fight against evolution. How much is that? Is that evolution or is that just asshole humans who like don't care? It's probably about a, numbers? Yeah. Well, I, I, and if you can remove that component of believing humans are so far removed from other animals that we're some sort of better Outside than, of and we should be, but we are. We're we're the we're the dick animal that ruined everything for other animals. <laughs> but guess what? If you're not willing to try another food. You're gonna die. So I'll and try then we're, that we're to left my with kids. a few altruistic. Uh, I'm gonna say that to my kids to when they alive. don't eat my cookies. There you go. Exactly. You don't if like you don't your veggies. You're gonna die. Right. You know, you've got a couple quid pocket money. You can try and live off that. Uh, you can get some food for that. It's not gonna be good. Um, or you die. There you go. How'd you like that? That does actually <laughs> Child services sound... might knock on the door pretty quickly. <laughs> it does actually sound like my parenting, though. Very, yeah, very yeah. much so. Like. Well, yeah. And and hopefully we are evolving beyond that kind of evolution model, maybe. But, but I, just, I just think in that concept of, you know, this inflexibility, you know, if if, if you go, oh, there's no longer um, this type of food and that's the only type of food I eat. Oh, well, will I try other food or shall I die? And And what's funny is it does feel like a lot of the church is going, oh, everyone's leaving because they don't like the fact that we hate gay people or that we are so rigid we can't possibly... Uh, I don't know, get along with Muslims living in the same town or whatever it is. And they left with this question of going, okay, can I open up myself up to read the Bible where I might be affirming of a gay person? Can I open myself up to be a little bit less intolerant of my neighbor? No. Okay. Well, guess what? Your church is going to be dead in 20 years. It's not going to be there. 50 years, that whole movement will be dead. Or... Or we could maybe start to look at how we else we could read the Bible, you know, and, and it does feel like in a lot of branches of Christianity are, are facing these very real realities right now um, in the West. Somewhere we heard about this idea of like the next 5%, like you can only mm. change your beliefs 5% at a time. You're not suddenly going to go from one day to the next, like I'm racist and the next day, oh, I'm not a racist because mm. it's not how things yeah. happen. But understanding that about ourselves and we were even talking about like, oh, do we create an app? What do we do that help people connect people to their mm. next 5%? Gosh, what's the area? Genius. Yeah. What's the area that I have a blind spot in that I'm not aware yet that it's a blind spot? Because if I look back at my life, there were loads of things that I believed, loads of things that I did. And I thought I was doing it the best way. Then I realized it wasn't the best way. So what's the current one? Mm. How do I actively look for it? You know, that would uh, be genius. An app that push, if you could like line up just even things like you sit down with someone that is, um, implicitly racist, maybe not explicitly, you know, you, they would not like the idea of thinking they were racist, but they are not able to embrace the fact that they are deeply, implicitly, systemically racist. But sitting down with them going, you're racist, blah, 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 does not go anywhere well. Right. They just shut down their walk away. But if you could be somehow looking at different people and mapping out the journeys they need to go on, you need to go from being uh, implicitly racist to completely anti-racist. But then it's like, okay, without me saying you need to become anti-racist, you're a racist, you know, whatever. what's the 5%? What's the little thing that you would mm. accept today that would start you on that journey that if we keep moving two years from now, you'd be full blown, really going for anti-racist, passionate about that, that movement and, and seeing humanity change for the better in that area. But you wouldn't have ever wanted to go there because that was, I don't know, evil or whatever. I don't know, different people have different ideas about different concepts. But how how amazing would it be to almost – the church always talks about the slippery slope, right? And that's what that 5% is, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh, God. Oh, this is going down. Oh, just 5%. Degrees, interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, that, that's what we're talking about on some Not level. Not a slippery slope. It's just a very gentle. Incline. Very gentle. I am enjoying this stroll. It's got a little easier. 
oh, it's nice. It's nice. Oh, I'm going, am I going downhill? And you look back and you've come down the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> but you were very gradual. Exactly. That's um, there is an author who wrote a book called Microshifts. And, mm. and, and I was speaking to him recently and he was talking about those little steps that you would take maybe maybe speak to someone on your way to work that you don't normally speak to or you've got two minutes a day you know what can mm. you do with those two minutes that just helps you along that you know eases you slowly along that journey and I think isn't that a great point because so often we're talking about doing the big things I try to do the big things I tried to like leave my life and go off to South America for five years didn't work <laughs> yeah like sometimes, you know, what if we slowly just change the small things? Like when I was trying, I was a bit overweight a few years ago and I thought, oh, I could diet. There's all these different diets out there. I really don't believe in dieting. But it's just slowly just being like, do you know what? I do not need to be eating sugar. I'm just going to slowly just change the things that I can make that change that actually affects my whole life. But it's just really gentle and is really kind of slow yeah. and kind. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves, don't we? Like you need yeah. to like find out what's true and do the thing and change yeah. the world and stop doing this and stop doing that. But maybe it's just like, honestly, I I think it, a lot of it comes down to self-love. Understand. So I'm, we're trying to do a little project, me and my uh, husband at the moment, called um, Project Me. We started it slowly on Instagram. And it's this idea that by knowing ourselves more, we can therefore love ourselves more effectively. Mm. So um, if I am seven and there's this, you know, girl I like in primary school and I'm like, I really like this girl. I'm going to buy her some chocolate because everyone loves chocolate. And I buy her chocolate. And actually she's like lactose intolerant. Like, how do you love people in a way in which they can receive that love? It's under, you know, you've got the love languages and people who receive things through physical touch, through gifts, all those different ways. And if we don't know someone's love language, how do we love them in a way that that, that, that love is actually an attractive thing for them or an actual, yeah. actually a helpful thing? And then I started thinking like, well, what about ourselves? So I say that I love myself and that I'm doing self-care, but my self-care is mostly watching television when actually that just makes me depressed or my self-care yeah. is, is is having some time for having a drink and actually that makes me anxious so maybe it's thinking when do I come alive oh it's when I'm outdoors and when I'm having a walk in nature like that is something that afterwards that makes me feel good so it's, it's you know doing this little self-curious thing I think self-curiosity is so important yeah. when you look at yourself with some self-curiosity and think this is what you like. This is what is helpful. This is what isn't. This is your background. This is where you came from. How can we love ourselves effectively in a way in which we can actually receive that love? And obviously, like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you're not loving yourself, then honestly, just try and start doing stuff with your neighbor when you don't even know how to love yourself effectively. That's just hard. Obviously, I don't think if we thought until I love myself effectively, I'm never going to do anything kind for anyone else ever. <laughs> The world's probably yeah. not going to never do you know, it. No one's ever going to do anything. Oh, I'm not like saying that, but I am saying like when it comes to curiosity, I just think, you know, self-curiosity, questioning your motives, questioning your beliefs, analyzing things and being kind to yourself, you know, uh, can lead to, you know, to an increase in your ability to love yourself effectively mm. right does that make sense yeah, sometimes no, it's absolutely. like when you when you pull apart this whole belief system what do you replace it with 
what do you replace it with now am I just gonna like I don't go to church I just watch tv you know what's the healthiest way that you can live what's the most loving way that you can live yeah what's you know the kindest way that you can operate in the world and including yourself in that kindness um because it's hard isn't it it is hard when you throw something away and then you like you said earlier like you just have the tendency to think maybe I'll become a Muslim if that's true you know I'll just replace kind of my blueness with another blueness but a different shade of blue absolutely Uh, and it, it's really tempting to want to do that, but it, it, it's how do you live in this space which isn't, you know, doesn't have quite so many walls and does have more questions? I don't know. Anyway, I'm trying to figure it out. Let me know if you do. Well, yeah, don't expect an email anytime soon. <laughs> it's it's such a, a messy, complex thing. It sounds like a beautiful project because I think we've always been doing this. At the end of the day, any of this is all based on our um at some point going do i think this is the best thing the right thing the right belief whatever on some level even if we're giving that over to a pastor or to a church group or to the bible or to a god on some level at some point we buy in and we're trusting our ability to go yeah i'm in um and i think what's interesting is as we lose uh, an authority figure the pastor the church the god the bible whatever it is there's this terror of going oh, I can't just trust me. And I think a lot of that is because the church mm. teaches you that you can't trust yourself, right? Because um, mm. you're, you're the sinful, deeply problematic person, especially if you're walking away from God. Um, but I think learning to to realize, well, I've been doing this all along on some level and actually I need to learn how to trust myself and, and to make decisions and to understand what do I like and what am I about and who am I and what are my desires, what are my hopes and dreams and all these different things. That's a fundamental bedrock of being a healthy human being, I think. Uh, you know, if you can't be doing that, like you said, you're, you you will, I, I fully believe you can go serve food at a soup kitchen or something if you're a broken person. Don't by any means, you know, stop helping people or cut off the opportunity or intentionally be like, well, I'm not going to love that person because uh, I'm not able to love myself yet. I'm going to intentionally be a dick. No, like, you know, do your best, you know, <laughs> see what you got. I um, like your disclaimers. But- <laughs> and quite often it's the other way around, isn't it? Because it's kind of thinking like it could teach us that yeah i think sometimes we can get in a real rut and we can go off you know i think a great thing to do is to go off to a soup kitchen and honestly i love like this idea i think pete Rollins talks about it a little bit of it's not going into evangelized but to be evangelized too yes so you go into those spaces and it's like well, what are these people revealing about me and you realize oh the bible talks about that like jesus is yeah. that person Jesus is that person to me. It's not about me helping the guy in the soup kitchen. The, the guy in the soup kitchen is Jesus, who then just kind of wildly ministered to me somehow. Yeah. It's all backwards and upside down. And that's kind of great, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's amazing. Mm. I absolutely love it. Oh, Emily, this has been amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, I'm sure. friends now. Oh, 100%. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to COVID being over. We can uh, hang out. But uh, yes. we, we should do this again for sure. And- uh, it's a lovely drive like from Manchester, like across the Peak District. Come yeah. you've, got, you've got kids, right? We, no, I don't. No, not yet. So, uh, um, well, you I'm can come and borrow mine. In bliss. So well, my <laughs> wife might like that. Uh, <laughs> I've got a really nice yeah. dog, if you like dogs. Okay, there you go. See, I'm a big fan of dogs. So, oh, yeah, she's pretty uh, great. I'm a big fan of kids as well. Kids are great. Um, anything above the age of kind of three, once they're talking, you know, that's when I can start really corrupting them, yeah. um, you know, teaching them to like, you know, break the rules, do whatever yeah. their parents are trying to get them to not do. 
um, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> I'm not a good influence on kids. <laughs> be really great. Because uh, I hope we get this vaccine sorted and we can all start meeting up in real life. I oh, for meet, real, for real. I'd love you to meet my husband as well, because that's been another, yeah. uh, that's no, been another be fun. fun story. We've been together like a year yes, since yesterday, like exactly a oh, year. Wow. We've been married for how many months? Some months we don't know. We're not, we're, not very good, we're not very good with numbers. But <laughs> this is 2020, right? I mean, it's just like, uh, I don't know. Could be a year, could be four days, somewhere in that window. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you the story really quickly because it, it fits Dude, yeah. with how like, funny and quirky my life and book is. So we were, I was wild camping on a hillside with my kids and I'd lent my tent to an Australian visitor friend who had forgotten to replace the fly sheet so I had to call her and say, Indigo, please turn up with the fly sheet. Um, we're on this hillside. I'm like, how is she going to find us? We're on this random bush and a random hillside. So I walked back down the footpath and there was a van parked there. And I knocked on the window of the van and I said, hey, um, if you see an Australian walking past looking lost with a fly sheet, could you point her down this path, please? And pointed in the direction I'd come from. And I made friends with the people who were travellers from, from Cornwall who were in the van. She was a professional mermaid makes mermaid wow. tales and kind of, yeah, is a most wonderful mermaid. I had her swimming in the pond behind my house in her mermaid tail and no one even batted an eyelid. It was weird. <laughs> and her partner, um, you know, he work, He does a lot of um, work in like TV shows. He was in like um, Pole Dark in Cornwall and stuff like that. And he's also works um, with uh, an armourer to the Queen. He was off... Wow. Um, fittings of some suit of armor for Matt Damon not long ago because he's the same body size as Matt Damon anyway so there's this I made these fun friends through that experience who lived in the van and I said hey if you want to come back for a meal because traveling is you know it's it's tough if you want to like have like mm. use my kitchen a bit so they stopped by and we had an evening with them and they were really great then every year they'd, they'd, they'd visit again and then they'd start to stay for a week and then they'd stay for a couple of months and then they'd stay a bit longer and then they had a stuffed um, Ibex in their bed so they couldn't fit in their bed because they sell antiques and they were selling antiques. So they ended up in my caravan because um, their van was full of these stuffed animals, which then ended up in my garage. Oh, it's a long <laughs> story. But then, um, so my husband who I'm with now, I knew that he, I'd never, I think I'd met him a few times in real life but couldn't really remember him, but we've been in touch in a similar way, you know, to us having these conversations mm. about similar subjects um, online. And so I knew that he'd had a van. So when they were after buying a new van, I said, do you know anyone who's selling a van? And he didn't. And then later on they bought this new van and it was weird. It was called, it was a Peugeot Tabot that looked like a caravan with like a steering wheel in it. it. Didn't even have a door to get in. You'd have to climb in the side of the caravan and walk to the front and then drive it. It was like Amazing. this box. It was so weird. And I sent Matt a picture of this and I said, you've got to come and check this out. This is going to get delivered to my house. And he went, ha, 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 that's horrendous. I want one. Like, and I said, oh, that's such a good response when you have this vehicle that's so ugly, yeah. but there's something about it that you kind of want it. So yeah. he showed up at you know, my house to see this van and to meet these people. And that was like a, over, just over a year ago. And then he never left. And then we got married at the beginning of lockdown. <laughs> And I had a dream the night before we um, we got married in which COVID was hitting. and We had to move the wedding forward. I just threw on whatever clothes I could find. We couldn't find a ring. So one of us used a bit of string and then we, we got married. And then that day, 
we were messaging the vicar and we said to her, what are you doing today? And she was like, well, I'm free at five. And we realized that COVID was about to hit and lockdown was about to hit. So we mm. moved the wedding forward. Matt didn't have a ring. So we just used one of my old rings and we just had two <laughs> hours to get ready, threw on some clothes, ran down the hill to the church, you know, called all of our friends and everyone who could show up for two hours notice showed up and it was all ramshackled and brilliant and completely in the style of, you know, how I tend to do life. So lockdown, lockdown for us has been nice. We live in a, in a house that I've recently, it's called, um, I've recently discovered it's an old bone crushing mill. So then probably there was, would have been a water wheel outside the house, Mm. probably crushing animal bones for fertilizers, maybe some human bones as well. So, um, That's where I found myself now in life. So you'll have to come it. and visit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if 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 we're even if we're not able to properly visit, maybe we'll go for a walk in the peaks or something at some point. Yes, right? that would be lovely. Um, and if you yeah. come at six thirty every evening, um, we live in Belper, and they invented the Belper Moo. It went international. Okay. So at six thirty, instead of like you know clapping the NHS, I think we were doing that as well. But we, everyone just started mooing. <laughs> to relieve stress and anxiety from lockdown. So everyone's leaning over their garden fences with trumpets and bits of hose pipe and just making cow noises. Amazing. But I think that's really funny because it's like we're kind of barnyard animals in lockdown. Yeah, it feels I, like it. I, I painted a large cow out of an old door and did a big rainbow above it. And that actually made an, um it was actually printed in the big issue. Nice. Wow. Amazing. Honestly, Emily, you're one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Um, I love it. I love it. You, you're, you're someone that's lived a life richly, but you, not only that, you can, um, tell the story. Um, I think there's a, the real knack to telling stories. I think you've got to have uh, fun. I think you've just yeah, got to have fun. It's beautiful. Fun. It's beautiful. I think, I think really God, beautiful. whoever she is, just wants us to have some fun. Yeah. I think it's wow. allowed. A good, healthy, loving fun when no one gets hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully that is something that people have taken away from this um, for sure. If people are watching this, listening to this and going, God, I love this one. Amazing. How can they connect with you, track with you? I mean, I know you've got some upcoming projects. You've got your book, which they should obviously pick up. Uh, Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns. Yeah. Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns. That's available in the UK via Proust. Uh, we can ship to the US, but I need to find a way to get it. I need a publisher over there as well at some point and I'll be okay. getting that sorted. On Instagram, I'm Emily John Garces because uh, I didn't want to change my last name when I got married. So me and my husband, we just decided to swap middle names. Wow, I like that. That's cool. Can I can I tell Very them your cool. middle name? Yeah. So he's now Matthew Laura. I love it. So That's it's awesome. Emily Emily John Garces and Matthew Laura Aitken. I don't think we've actually said that publicly before, so I've just outed him. But um, I think it's <laughs> I a show. It. I think it's really a, cool. It's a romantic gesture, isn't it? To actually, yeah, I love that. Swap swap middle names. So that's Very me on cool. Instagram. Hmm. And catch on, yes, I, like I sell lots of art. I'm on Etsy and all of those places. Cool. If, you put, if you put Emily Garces into uh, into Google. I'll pop cool. up somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll chuck some links in the show notes. Um, so maybe I'll maybe touch base with you before this comes out. To be honest with you, this is going to come out in like three days. Um, oh, cool. Because I, I go through these stages of filming like a whole bunch of podcasts. And then I like have like a month of like not filming them. Because I, I need to record usually about like 10 a month. And there are two to three hour conversations. So it's just like, it's a lot if you're doing them all the time every week. And so I usually do like a batch a whole bunch. And you are like on uh, like the beginning of a whole new recording cycle. And I've basically run out of uh, new episodes. So you're like a very quick turnaround. Sometimes people are a month after a, 
I record, but I think I like it when you're just like, let's just do this straight away. Because honestly, if I'd booked this in in three months, I would have forgotten. Forgot. Exactly. Five years in in South America does that to a girl. (laughs) It's just like now, or it's just not going to happen. That's how I operate in life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I absolutely love this conversation and I, and I really hope that people uh, plug into, to maybe what you're doing, your future products, your book, um, hopefully we can get you a US publisher because a lot of my guys are, um, from the US, a lot of folks that are following me, um, but they can do that got, via your car. I've got loads anyway, of but. ventures coming up. I'm talking with my friend, uh, uh, Maggie Rowe in LA, and we're talking about some possible podcast ideas. And uh, Wonderful. Yeah, check out her book as well, Sin Bravely. Very yes, exciting you mentioned book that. about so, yeah. um, religious scrupulosity and honestly, mm. and comedy comedy as well she's someone else who loves to laugh so yeah watch this if you're not laughing like my god i can't even imagine this journey without some laughter you know what i mean i just (laughs) everything is funny to me even though you know the ups the downs it's all going to be turned into a joke with me um much to the chagrin of everyone around me um but i just can't imagine not laughing my way through this i don't think there's anything too dark i think laughter is you know absolutely best response there's a lot of that in my book as well like if Wonderful. you don't like inappropriate laughter at things that most people don't laugh at then just just don't buy it well i'm i'm gonna pick up a copy of your book after this because like we said i wanted to do it between the the friday monday window of us arranging this but i never got around to it but i'm gonna be after this conversation i'm like oh god i want to hear all the other stories that i've missed here because i'm sure there's a lot that we didn't go into yeah i honestly um, did just your introduction did swim across the eye of a volcano in Bolivia with an indigenous child. Whilst kidnapping child a small child. Yeah. That I accidentally kidnapped. Perfect. I really did do that. I apologise, but it happened. Oh my gosh. There's there's a whole bunch of white saverism or something in there to be joked about. But uh... <laughs> Yeah. No. I love it. I love it. No, no more Wonderful. jokes. It's very well, serious. Thank you for uh, coming on, Emily. I really appreciate it. And I, I look forward to getting to know you more over over the coming years. Um, but I'll let you know when this comes out and, um, and yeah, people watching, listening, do, uh, make sure you're following Emily on Instagram and buy our stuff on Etsy and get a pick, copy of her book and stuff. I think there'll be a special sticker. Um, we'll have to, it might be an imaginary special sticker for anyone who actually listens to the full length of this, right? Oh, Without if anyone it. listens through, if anyone listens through to this, you need to like, um, Me- message know, in post and an I'll Instagram you- story and tag us both and we'll like, I'll post you an imaginary sticker. Promise. There you go. I'll give you a th- thumbs up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's exciting. <laughs> but like if, if, people if people, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'll yeah. give you a double thumbs up. I'll, I'll maybe even share the story on Instagram. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're promising high things here. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm not promising anything I can't deliver. <laughs> that's it. That's a very good lesson in life to not do that. It was really lovely you know, talking to you because, especially because you're someone who's, you know, put yourself in this space of opening up a platform for conversation. Because what I went through, would have been easier, would have been less painful if I'd gone through it with other people. Yeah. It would have been. And so it's just Absolutely. a beautiful thing to create a community. I don't believe in in safe spaces. I believe in brave spaces. And so I think that was a Hillary McBride thing. I think she'd said that once. And I think that's a beautiful thing to do, to acknowledge the bravery that it takes for people to come into these spaces and to have these conversations. So I'd like thank yeah. you for everyone who's uh, watched and listened. Uh, it yeah. means a lot. Absolutely. I, Big time. Yeah. Well, and, and thank you for being so vulnerable, opening up, sharing your story. And, and I'm sure many people have resonated with it and, and appreciate that. So, yeah. Yeah. Get in touch. I'm always happy to chat. You know, sometimes I put podcasts out there and people are like, 
didn't want to message you because I thought there'd just be like a total deluge in like messages. And I'm like, no, like you're the first one. Please don't go and leave me. I thought you were talking to me. You won't, you won't get a deluge from my uh, audience. You'll get three or four messages if you're lucky. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, but so, yeah. Absolutely. So you'd message be away. the one or two people that message Emily, please. If you got this far, send her a message. Um, you know, we need all the encouragement we can get out here. And I always um, have space so, yeah. for more friends. You ever have people who like have a friends quota and they've got like five friends and they don't want any more? Like, honestly, I've only got five friends and I do want more. So. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, have a good one. Um, I really appreciate you um, taking the time. It's, it's been a good chunk of time as well. And so I appreciate you giving so much of your day to uh, to chat. No, and, uh, it's been good. Yeah. Honestly, I don't want to do anything sure. else with life. I think having these conversations is just like, it's just what I want to do. Absolutely. Can't anything better. I could go and like, I'm going to go and wash the dishes now. And I'm sure that would be equally exciting, but maybe not. So. Maybe. Well, you've got to, you know, you've got to have that mentality, right? You, sh- you could be on the beach in Spain. So. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Love you. Catch you later. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Bye. Take care. All right. So that was Emily Garces. I would encourage you, give her a follow on Instagram. It's Emily John Garces. Um, links below in the show notes and a link below to her book as well which i'd encourage you to check out it's called hitchhiking with drunken nuns um sounds an absolute blast i'm personally going to pick up a copy and check that out um yeah i would encourage you give her a follow shoot her a message let her know if you like this um she's very happy as she said to chat with people and um yeah uh, get to know people and so please do um make use of that i mean it's an amazing uh, resource whenever anyone says please send me a message uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do um and so i'd encourage you to do that over on instagram um talking of instagram make sure you're following me it's just phil drysdale i love chatting with people day in day out I spend three four five hours talking to people and helping them through their process and so if you are going through deconstruction if you need someone to talk to a safe place a brave space as uh, emily called it you are welcome to shoot me a message anytime i really enjoy talking with you all getting to know you um it's it's just such a privilege it really is if you're looking for uh, more of a community um vibe than just a one-on-one conversation um you can join my patreon um I, I everything i do i give for free but as a thank you to those that are supporting me and what i'm doing um there is a private discussion group there so for as little as five dollars a month you can get access to a private discussion group we have an amazing uh, group of people there we talk about all sorts of different things the process of deconstruction coming out to our families um different ideas of spirituality what what might life look like what could life look like differently um, how we process different theologies for people that are still more in the Christian vein, um, for people that are exploring new ideas. We've got different conversations about Eastern spirituality and um, agnosticism, atheism, coming to terms with different things like that. So there's something for everyone and it really is a great space. Um, so I encourage you, if you're looking for something like that and you appreciate what I do and, and I'm putting this stuff out for free, you can support me over on Patreon, patreon.com slash or you can access it as well through phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, either one. Um, we'll give you full access to that. Um, if you give $10 a month, you get access to a private um, uh, a monthly Zoom call. Um, and there's some other perks in there as well, like one-on-one Skypes and things like that as well. Um, so do check that out if, if, if you appreciate what I'm doing and, and would like to support what I'm doing. Uh, it would mean a great deal. Of course, there's never any need. Everything I'm doing is still always going to be free. Um, there is also the deconstructionnetwork.com head to the deconstructionnetwork.com if you are going through deconstruction if you feel isolated and lonely and you may well find people in your local area that are feeling the same way and be able to connect with them it's a really simple website it's just a big map of the earth 
you zoom into your location, you find people there, you send them a message and you take it from there. I can't promise you're gonna like who you find. Not everyone's gonna get on, not everyone's gonna be in the same space. You're not gonna find people that believe exactly what you believe. What you're gonna find is people that are coming out of toxic religion, just like you are. Um, and that can be a huge thing. Uh, just someone that gets what you're going through. Um, that can be a massive thing, especially if you've lost community, friends, family, etc. So the deconstructionnetwork.com is a great resource to check out if you're in that space. All right. That's enough from me. I love all of you and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.